Hi and welcome to this week's Three Legs Four Wheels F1 podcast. It's Paul here with Sean, Chris, Lee, and joining us from the Palace of Glittering Delights in San Diego, the one and only. Oh, that's me, Sean. Yes, <laughs> Sean, that man. Yes, hello again. Hello. How are we all? Not uh, well, How well, are you? Well, Grand. Uh, it's another day in paradise here in Southern California. What can I say? And it's race week. It is. The first round of the 2021 F1 World Championship. I feel like I said that 12 months ago and it didn't happen. So <laughs> pardon the minor tone of reticence in my voice as I say that. It's also the Bahrain Grand Prix <laughs> week, and I'm sure we only said that about three and a half months ago. Uh, we did. We had this unprecedented situation where we got three races out of four in the same venue. which I mean, And the preseason test was also in the same venue. So it feels like we've been going around Bahrain for weeks on end. Like, uh, you know... It's been a long. It feels like it's been a long time since you raced or had cars run on track anywhere else. Yeah, it's, def- it's definitely an unusual, uh, an unusual situation. Uh, can you recall seeing anything like this before with so many races, uh, a track so close together, apart from last year? No, it's never happened. I mean, the, the, we haven't we hadn't had back to back races at the same racetrack until last year, and now we've got Bahrain, two of the last three races of last year, first race of this year. That's yeah, that's unprecedented. Did we do the last race in 95 in Australia at Adelaide? And then the first race in 96 was at Mel- um, Melbourne. That's right. Yeah. But obviously, but obviously different, two, race, same, different racetracks. Same country, different racetracks. We, have had, we did have that happen before, where we had consecutive races in the same nation, but not at the same venue. So that's what makes it particularly unusual. I mean, it wouldn't be out of the ordinary if we had Bahrain and then another, another track in Bahrain start the season but it's the fact that yeah we're just constantly at the same venue but you know what 12 months ago we had a, a three legs four wheels podcast where i was talking about the the you know the onset of the financial abyss because suddenly there was thousands of us in the industry out of work um so exactly as far as i'm concerned you can race around anything you want as long as with the cars are going around the racetrack because that's what's mm-hmm. going to keep the lights on and the roofs over our heads well, that is true, and it's good to see that everything so far this season is um, apparently going to plan and on time. Yeah, I mean, everything, honestly, from, from my point of view, aside from the fact that we can't travel, um, I haven't been to the racetrack since Abu Dhabi 2019, um, aside the, for the fact that that's affected, everything else has gone completely as normal. There hasn't been any anything untoward about pre- pre-season preparation. It just feels like a normal pre-season. I think probably because Melbourne was rescheduled so early. You know, we didn't we didn't get close to going to Australia. So it doesn't feel like there was a disruption there. You know, you know, I know they had to move it, but we didn't we weren't braced to go to Australia. It was it was still ways off when they changed it. Mm. Um so yeah, it feels like a completely normal uh preseason heading into the season. And hopefully it's on a you know, the, the, the pandemic is on a downward trend now. I know there might be a few more spikes, but hopefully we're going to get a handle on it. Um, and by the second half of the season, you know, we might all meet again. We might all have masks on still, but we might actually be able to travel. We will get that yeah. road, We will get that three legs ball wheels road trip to a Grand Prix at one point, I'm sure. Uh, we, yes. We had, we had plans to do it last year and this year, and it's still on hold. <laughs> Well, where, yeah, where, where, what were you going to do? Um, I mean, Chris, you, you suggested that we were, we were going to do a doubleheader of um, Austin and Mexico. 
Yeah, I always thought that'd be really good to do. Go uh, go to the US Grand Prix at Texas, and then uh, and then go down to Mexico City for the uh, hopefully in the baseball stadium uh, for the uh, for the Mexican Grand Prix a week later. Yeah, um, for us all. Yeah, why not? That sound, I think that would be a fantastic trip to do, especially for us on on this side of the of the Atlantic. Well, double so now, of course, because now now the hero of Mexico is in a Red Bull, and Red Bull has yeah. been tradi- traditionally the fastest car in Mexico uh, for the last few years. Can you imagine what it's going to be like this year if <laughs> if we can have fans at the racetrack? It will be fantastic. I mean, hopefully, by, yeah. hopefully by that point of the year, things will have calmed down that much that you know fans fans will be allowed in, and you know will, <laughs> and of course the race itself is taking place on thirty uh, first of October, which is Day of the Dead. That doesn't hurt, although I would say that. Um... <laughs> well, it's it's the big, it's the, it's the big Mexico celebration, it's the big Mexican celebration at that time of year, isn't it? It is, yeah, it is, and and I, it, you know, when they say it's a big Mexican celebration, boy, do they mean it. Um, because it really is, it's not like conventional Halloween elsewhere. It's, it's like that by a factor of 10, but, um, I don't know. It's a bad, I feel like it's a, it's a bad, um, bad omen having a Grand Prix on the day of the dead. Like, <laughs> oh, well, what could possibly go wrong? Yeah. Ask Ferrari. They'll probably get accused of cheating <laughs> on that one. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you say it's a normal preseason. Nobody's accused anyone of cheating yet, have they? Um, no, no, I suppose not. I hadn't thought about it until you just said it, but no, I, I don't uh, know of anybody bitching about another team's legality or anything like that. Um, perhaps maybe that maybe the rule changes have, have, you know, caused people to fall into line over these things. Like you definitely can do this. You definitely cannot do that. Um, even the Alpine with its very unusual radiator setup, um, you know, that seems to be fall. That seems to fall well within the the bounds of being legal. So, good luck to them. No, I think I think mm. they're going to put an, an extra MGU in. It's an MGUC. It gets powered by Alonso's complaints. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe if you could power him just by the kinetic energy of his political movements, <laughs> then he would win the world championship. <laughs> That's how he did it in the uh, mid noughties Then, <laughs> yeah. Just quickly, Sean, what did you think of the uh, of the shorter uh, three day test? Uh, so obviously it used to be three tests. Well, yeah, it did used to be three tests, then it got shortened to two. And obviously this year, because of the way things are, one three day test before going into the season. Do you think that's uh, helped competition, or do you think it's going to squander it? I think it helps with what I call finger trouble, um, and I think I, I think I discussed this with you. Uh, just before Austria last year, um, the fact that there hasn't been a great deal of prep time means that there's a greater chance of human error in the first race. Um, and I don't mean human error from the drivers necessarily so much as the mechanics. It could mean that the car's not bolted together properly, that, that there's a, there are problems they haven't discovered yet that manifest during the race weekend. Things don't work. You know, things break, basically. Things break yeah. in the race. And, that, and we saw that last year in Austria where we had like Verstappen's car stopped after what 11 laps something like that um so yeah there was i mean the thing was only 12 or 13 cars that finished that race so that was very very high retirement rate for modern grand prix we might get that again uh bahrain doesn't lend itself to having many retirements uh, because it's a wide open space and 
you know, you don't tend to have um, a lot of accidents. Although, as we saw, when you do have an accident, it can be an almighty accident. Um, so I don't want to jinx it. But it, uh, t- testing, I mean, I'm probably going against what is the party line here. But uh, testing isn't a TV event for me. I don't need to watch it to know what's going on. I just show me a picture of the car then show me the lap times and tell me what what runs they were doing and that's as much as i need to know um i don't need to sit there and watch it for eight hours um so it it doesn't it doesn't make a great personal difference to me but i do think it'll make a a moderate difference to the chances of random failure in the race weekend that we're about to have and that's a good thing because it is yeah it's exciting it, 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 it adds a little bit of jeopardy to it which which i always think is necessary in f1 I know it's unfair because you could have a driver who's absolutely dominating and then breaks down and then loses a race that he had in the back. But it does at least meet, it does sustain the interest, doesn't it? it you, can't, you can't deny that, you know, watching a race back in the day, you're like, uh, I hope the car lasts. <laughs> you yeah. never know. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Oh, sorry, Chris. I thought you were going to say something else. This, we've been doing this for a year over Skype and we're still not, we're still not very good at it. <laughs> no. <laughs> I've been doing my job for 18 years in Formula One, and I still haven't got a handle on it myself. But do carry on. <laughs> yeah, we're yeah we're only 12 years behind you, so yeah, all right, we'll uh, we'll let you have that one. Um, what was I going to say? I, I lost the thread completely. Somebody ask another question, quick. Do you mean to make? Is this where we make some Mark and Lard references? <laughs> um, this is why you've lost your train of thread. I think those, my train of thread. Your train of thread. Your, your thread train thought. Thread. Are you excited? Threadbare. Like when you, when we you looked at the teams and lap times and stuff, uh, especially between where Red Bull looks to be, are, are you excited we're in for a, a tight season? Well, I I can't tell you that Mercedes have had it. Like, and I re, I, re, I would refuse to say that anyway because I would always say, look, how many times have we seen Mercedes sitting back on their heels and taking it easy, and then when it gets to Q two, suddenly it's like, whoa. There's a second that they didn't have before, mm. as if by magic. Um, but I would say that after the way Mercedes, the way the test went for Mercedes, where they lost the whole, most of day one, um, and the car seemed unstable at the rear, both drivers were complaining about it. Hamilton had the spin, um, ended up in the sand trap. I would say that this is the greatest chance we've had in the hybrid era that Mercedes will not be the fastest team at the first race. Mm. And that, that is that's that's an exciting thought in itself. There is at least the highest possibility of that. I'm not saying it, I'm not guaranteeing it will be the case, but the fact that they lost all that time, you know, it's, it doesn't seem significant that they lose most of day one of the test. But you always got to think, well, look, think of all the the checklist of items that they wanted to go through to make sure everything works on the first day. Well, that all got moved into day two, which meant day two's running got compressed into day three. So they're a little bit, you know, scrambling. Um. And I hope it carries on that way because we really we don't need a situation where without, you know, somebody off the street who knows nothing about Grand Prix racing could still say, well, Lewis Hamilton will win, won't he? And I can't as an expert tell him why, he, why he's wrong. You know, like somebody with no no understanding of the sport say, well, Hamilton always wins. Um, it, that needs to not be a thing. It needs to be a worthwhile challenge. And if Red Bull have got it right and certainly seems like the the mood so far suggests that they have hold on to your hats because if a staff has got yeah. a championship winning car that's going to be i mean it's a fan it's a mouth-watering thought the idea that we can have hamilton verstappen title battle 
And it could be that Perez comes into the picture as like a Mark Webber figure, almost like a spoiler. Mm. Like, hang on a minute, Golden Boy over here is not the only Red Bull in this. Um, that's the most. That would be the most intriguing thing. Can Perez make it a two-car team? Because for all intents and purposes, Red Bull have been a one-car team since Ricardo left. Um, they've had, um, and it seems, I guess it seems fitting to mention this on the day that we've lost Johnny Dumfries. It reminds me a lot of uh, when Senna was at Lotus, when you would have Senna's Lotus up at the front and then the other Lotus somewhere, I don't know, <laughs> somewhere down the back, <laughs> somewhere down the field. So, um, uh, or Schumacher at Benetton. Uh, that's what Renault, That's what Red Bull have been like for the last couple of seasons. And they need two cars up there because it's like having Verstappen fighting strategically with one hand tied behind his back. You know, if, if you haven't got that second Red Bull up there acting as a spoiler for the Mercedes strategy, then it's going to be much harder. What I find interesting with uh, Perez Verstappen is we, we know Perez is good. You know, he's, he's now a Grand Prix winner. Um, he's he's been the guy which has been able to pull results out through managing tyres and stuff like that. But we'll we'll see how good he is now. You know, it's is he is he just like that reliable, like massa type number two driver, which is what I I think Red Bull are, are hoping for, or or is he good enough to challenge you know with the very best? Absolutely, and I the, the thing is is it seems like um. This is a chance of a lifetime for Perez. But it's actually the second chance of a lifetime he's had because he joined McLaren in 2013 mm-hmm. as Lewis Hamilton's replacement. And yes, McLaren didn't win a race that year, haven't won a race at all since Hamilton left the team. But he was paired with Jensen Button and we knew Jensen was good because he spent several seasons against Lewis at McLaren and held his own and even in 2011 beaten him in the championship. So... um he was paired with Jensen Button, didn't didn't fare too well with Jensen, and of course he was out by the end of the season, uh, off to Force India where he was thereafter. So this is the second chance for Perez. Um, it's it's fair to say that this is this is the this is the season of reckoning. Like if he doesn't do it this season, then it's a career killer, because they yeah. say, look, you've had you've had two big chances now, and you haven't shown us that you're championship material so thanks but no thanks which is how formula one is it seems very harsh but um you know formula one's supposed to be that way and that applies to everybody in the industry whether you're a driver whether you're a team principal whether you're you know a minion like me whether you're somebody who sweeps the floor or whoever you know there's a million people who want your job so you better get on with it and you better be good at it yeah i mean second chances are very rare in formula one unless you're danny kivia obviously (laughs) <laughs> or or I would say Valtteri Bottas because how many how many iterations of Valtteri do we need it's going to be Valtteri 7.0 before he gets beaten by 125 points again you know how, <laughs> how, how much time can you have in the best car in Formula 1 racing before there comes this realisation that look you're not going to do this ever and this weekend I think it's this weekend Bottas uh, will have started more Grand Prix as Hamilton's teammate than Nico Rosberg did. And in that time, Rosberg not only got under Hamilton's skin, he beat him in qualifying, he beat him in races. I don't think he would beat him in a straight race. I would still go Hamilton's the better racer, and I would still go Hamilton as the better overall driver. But there were many occasions where Rosberg uh, outfoxed Hamilton, um, usually when he'd qualify ahead of him. And 
of course, won the World Championship in 2016. Yes, there were some mitigating circumstances. Hamilton didn't have the most reliable time, blah, 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 blah. But the fact of the matter is that Rosberg was in that position in the first place. Botas has never got remotely close to it in the whole time he's been in that car. Not even, not even remotely. He's been, you know, 100 points behind, which, you know, if, if you're in a Red Bull, is a sacking offence. So, yeah. um, Hamilton doesn't even see him as a rival anymore. And you could tell that from the Eiffel Grand Prix when Botas was fairly robust in his defence of the lead, I think it was. And Hamilton said afterwards, I was proud of Valtteri for the way he drove there. Now, <laughs> no one in Formula One, past, present or future, ever says that they're proud of the way someone drove if they're scared of them as a genuine rival. Like, you wouldn't find Lewis saying, I, I was proud of the way Nico Rosberg defended his position. I was proud of the way Max Verstappen did that. No, that, no, 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 stop. <laughs> that, that does not happen. You say that, you say that as a sort of pity. You know, oh, I was proud of him. Bless him. Bless him, really. He was trying so hard. And that's the mind that game, me, though, isn't it? Yeah, but uh, that was, it was a spontaneous remark. And it just, to me, it, it gave away, it spoke volumes to me. Like, ah, so you just see Valtteri as just, the, you know, the little pet in the second car. You know, no, he's no, he's no threat. Um, and even if Mercedes say, yeah, it's, you know, obviously it's, there's no, there's no, there's no number one, no number two. It's just who's quicker. We know who's quicker. We've seen it. We've had four, four seasons of seeing who's quicker. We don't need to persist with that experiment. So um, to me, you know, Valtteri is also a borrowed time. And um, in, in a harsher environment, he would already have been turfed out. But I counter that by saying Mercedes have won every single title in the hybrid era. So you can't say that they're doing it wrong. No, but like you said before about um, Red Bull running a, a one-car team since Ricardo, they, they, they haven't had to have two Lewis Hamiltons or two top drivers, have they? Just having Lewis destroy a world championship and then Valtteri pick the points up has been enough for them. Right, exactly. And you wonder what would happen if they faced a two-car attack. What if you had two Max Verstappens? Um, that kind of point-scoring potential then it might be a quite different championship because Mercedes would be thinking, hang on a minute, we might not win the Constructors. We might get the driver's title. We might not win the Constructors' title. Um, so, yeah, it, it's, it's, it factors in. And if Perez, if Perez can be on Verstappen's coattails or better, then that, that changes the championship dynamic. I mean, it changes the dynamic of every race because Mercedes can't just pit and think, well, we're going to rejoin in clear air. No, you're not. You're going to rejoin behind Perez. Or, you know, or in some cases, you're going to rejoin behind Verstappen. And then suddenly it's like, well, what, where's the other Red Bull? What do we do? You know, we've got two cars in the fight here. It's, it's completely different. Uh, it, would be, uh, it would be good to see what it's, what it's actually like if Mercedes have to, have to fight against a full team. Yeah. And, you know, we've been, hoping, we've been hoping in previous seasons to be fighting against Ferrari, but Ferrari have always had the one driver and the, the guy that they keep around for spares. Well, I would say that Ferrari were, you know, one and a half cars because I thought Raikkonen was past it at Ferrari. And, you know, Vettel usually was the, was the lead guy. Um, I think, yeah, it, I mean, when was the last time we had two cars from the same team in a battle of that nature? 
I mean, I suppose it was, was it Red Bull in 2010, I guess? You know, having to fight another team. I know it's kind of, Mercedes have kind of had a private battle for it lately, where it's gone down. Anytime it's gone down to the last round, which is what just, I mean, that's only 2014, I guess. Uh, no, 2016 as well, as well of course. Um, it's always been Mercedes versus Mercedes. Um, you know, 2012, we had Alonso at Ferrari. You know, Massa wasn't really doing, Massa wasn't blowing us away. And in 2010, we had the two Red Bulls, Alonso, um, and uh, it was Lewis. Four car. We had four cars in the fight at the last race. It was the only time that's ever happened. So, yeah, we need two cars versus two cars. That would be very good. Could George Russell be a, a second car for Mercedes? Do you think they'd be more? There'd be more parity between the two drivers if it was Russell instead of Bottas. Well, I I made the reference to Senna and Lotus just now, and, and how. Uh, Johnny Dumfries, who of course passed today, um, was chosen as the second driver in 1986 because Senna vetoed the choice of Derek Warwick because he considered that Derek Warwick was too fast and that Lotus did not have the necessary infrastructure to support a, f- a two-car team on equal terms. Were they deliberately so- only considering drivers whose surnames were places? <laughs> <laughs> Right, yeah. Damon like, Hill okay. was out. <laughs> yeah, well, they must have thought, look, we've got the laxative, now we need the destination. <laughs> Senna Warwick. Um, I needed Senna Johnny Dumfries' real surname was actually Crichton Stewart. He was the heir to the Earl of Dumfries. So, you know, he had a title. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> yes, he was the Mar- Marquis of Butte. <laughs> no, now all I can think of is Damon Hill changing his first name to Notting to try and get a little drive. <laughs> <laughs> Damon Hill... Damon Hill, incidentally, I don't know if you know this, was in a band. I'm not, I'm not making this up. He was in a band called Sex, Hitler and the Hormones. <laughs> I, uh, I, I, remember, I remember Clive James asking once, were you Sex, Hitler or just one of the hormones? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's a funny way to refer to Max Mosley, but I mean, fair enough. <laughs> allegedly. Alleg- allegedly. Allegedly. <laughs> Uh, allegedly, the, of course. This is, the, allegedly. This, is the seg- this is the segment of the show where the three legs, four wheels um, legal department go for the tea break. Do we know any lawyers? Yeah. Allegedly. Yes. Uh, fr- Frank Poe, if you're listening, um, you're on standby. <laughs> it's, fair, it's fair to say that if Max Mosley is listening to this right now, he most assuredly has the whip hand. Go ahead. <laughs> 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 do you know what max mosley that year 2008, uh, 2008 it was um he did a media dinner i think it was at monza and the media presented him with a whip that's <laughs> that's how amazing the sense of humor is in f1 that they actually brought max mosley a whip it was like it was like when bernie took nicky lauder around the north slide for back in uh when was it now it would have been 2006 i think it was and they stopped at burger where nicky lauder had his accent and Bernie went over and said, Nicky, I found your ear. And there was a, pig's, a severed pig's ear waiting on the grass. And he gave it and he gave it to Nicky Lauder. Bernie. <laughs> so Bernie had so obviously premeditated this. So go out there, leave a severed pig's ear by the side of the road, and I will stop and I'll get out and I'll say, Nicky, I found your ear. <laughs> How brilliant is that? Imagine doing Imagine doing that to Nicky Lauder and not getting like headbutted. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> you can see, 
Nicky Lauda would not have taken. He either would have taken it really well or not well mm. at all. <laughs> right, like coming from Bernie, because the pair of them were the pair of them saw eye to eye. You know, um, it, it was funny. But I thought no one else, there's no one else on earth who would have got away with doing that. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, where were we? I don't know. I think we were on George Russell. <laughs> yeah, George, George Russell has been a more George comparable Ru- teammate. There was George Russell, sex Hitler, severed ears, um, a lot and, wh- has happened. And, and whips. A lo- we went a long way in a very short period of time, and now we're right back where we started. Oh, George cool. Russell. <laughs> yes. Who, who, by the way, for legal reasons, we must say, is has no relation to any of the events, any of the events that followed in that conversation. <laughs> um, but no. does does have uh, a relation on this show? Uh, sometimes I'm referred to as Hitler. <laughs> Yeah, Lee, Lee and George Russell are actually, what is it, second cousins? Yeah. Really? Yeah. <laughs> Odd, isn't it? Well, he's never said it once. <laughs> <laughs> Why has he not mentioned it? He likes to respect Lee's privacy. Yeah, ah. that's it. Yeah, I, I, I like to keep myself low-key. The last thing I want is all the millions of followers he's got on Twitter following my account. Yeah. That's true. That's true. Mo money, mo problems, right? <laughs> Um, so George Russell, yes, finally back on the subject. Uh, I would have preferred to see George Russell in Mercedes and Valtteri Bottas this year, just because Bottas has already had a run in that car, and we've established okay next. Um, but I, you know, I understand why Mercedes wants to keep Bottas because you know why change the status quo when you keep winning, you keep winning both titles. That's 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 what you're here to do. You know, it'd be like it'd be like, it'd be like Man City making unnecessary changes to their team. You know, after winning the title, every title seven years in a row. It's like, well, could we not just keep it as it is? Um, so, yeah, I, I, I respect them not wanting to make an undue change because, of course, if you put Russell in the car, it might ad- adversely affect Hamilton um, because uh, Hamilton, in my opinion, didn't cope all that well with Rosberg um, psychologically, particularly in, in 2016. Of course, in 2015, especially, he battered him. Um, but when when Hamilton... When when a, when a teammate's uncomfortably close to him, you know you can see cracks in the Hamilton armor. In the same way, you could with Michael Schumacher, of course. Do you think there's any uh, truth behind the rumors that Hamilton, well, his veto, well, was trying to veto Russell for next year? That was one of his demands. Um, I I would understand it if he did, because why? Like I said, why change anything? You know, mm. guys, we're, we're winning both titles by a mile every year. Our drivers are one-two in the championship. Why? Why the haste to change anything? We are already. We are succeeding. The objective every season: finish one-two in the drivers' championship, and then get the constructors' championship along with it. Which obviously you would if you're one-two in the drivers' championship. So why change anything? I totally get that. Um, and it may be you know Hamilton's found himself a very comfortable place there. Um, you know we've got Valtteri there to massage his feet. Mm-hmm. Uh, why you know why disrupt it? So I, I, I get it. But it is a shame because it would be fantastic. I mean, it'd be particularly fantastic if you put Lewis and Max Verstappen in the same team. I think that would be, I mean, that's a, that's a Senna-Pross rivalry uh, all over where Max would be the Senna character and Lewis would be the Prost. So, because uh, Prost and Senna, Prost was already a world champion, uh, double world champion. Senna hadn't won a world title when he came to the team. And then we got the fireworks that uh, ensued. And uh, yeah, they they will not be forgotten in a hurry. 
<laughs> Still legend. Right I actually now. asked. I actually asked on Twitter the other day because, of course, it was Aiton Senna's would have been Aiton Senna's 61st birthday. And I asked yeah. on Twitter the other day, what would he have been doing had he lived? What would he be doing today? And most people said uh, president of Brazil. That was the most popular response. Um, you know, and he'd be doing a better job than that clown who's in charge now, Bolsonaro, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. You know, he went off on that tangent. But one person said he, he'd be a commentator on Sky. And I thought, wouldn't that be amazing? Imagine Senna and Prost as the analysts after a race and, yeah. and, <laughs> and, and, and arguing with each other like Statler and Waldorf, you know, the Muppet show about, you know, blah, 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 blah. And then eventually one of them brings up Suzuka and it's like, whoa, okay, this is descending into acrimony here. <laughs> this is escalated in a hurry. You know? I thought, wouldn't it be brilliant television to listen to the pair of them in their 60s bickering about stuff that happened decades ago? Yeah, yeah, it would be fantastic, actually. I responded to that tweet and said I thought he'd be a priest. I think he would have gone into the church and just done uh, done his religious work. He was a very religious man. He was. And certainly, it's not... It's conceivable. It's, you know, it's... I could see it. Um, but once I heard that, once I heard that idea of him being a sky analyst, I thought, oh, I, I, that's, what I would, that's what I would love him to have been. Um, because the thing is, is if Senna says you shit... You're kind of shit. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's no, there's no getting. What, what are you going to say? Like, oh, 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 who are you, Fangio? You know. <laughs> it's a shame, isn't it? When you, when you think of that, especially with Schumacher uh, sort of being out for that type of thing too. You know, two of the guys where you, which would be retired and considered two of the greatest of all times, which should be like, they, they've got every right to give their opinions on absolutely anything to do with Formula One, and we can't have it. Yeah, it's a real shame. But of course, I mean, Alain Prost is still around the paddock, but um, he t- he tends to be quite reserved in his opinions. He's certainly not bombastic in the same way as, say, Jacques Villeneuve, who regularly makes headlines um, because he tells you exactly what he thinks. I'm just increasingly convinced he's Irish um, because <laughs> he's got because he leaves you in no doubt as to where you stand. Um, Jackie O. Villeneuve. Indeed. Yes, Jack O. Villeneuve. It it Um, doesn't come across as being very Canadian, does it? uh, No. No, I guess not. (laughs) I've never never heard him apologise once. But he's always always had a nationality crisis as Jack, because he lived in Monaco since 1977. So, you know, he's a bit... I mean, who am I to talk? I'm this Anglo-Irish living in America hodgepodge so my steer Every, clear everyone's more convinced of where they come from than nico rosberg so we've nothing to worry about <laughs> sean I will, I will send you the mp3 file of the rosbergian national anthem i don't think you've heard it yet it's a treat i have not i have not <laughs> um but i do have big respect for, i do have big respect for nico rosberg and his intellect I, I i find it staggering that he can converse in so many languages fluently mm. you know and he scored the highest the highest um, uh, scores uh, when he joined Williams of their mental competency test. He was the highest scorer in the team's history. Um, so, yeah, he's. Uh, he, it, it, I find it fun that he, he won the world championship and said, "That's enough for me. Thanks a lot. I'm off to do something more important with my life." Cheers, bye. And and now he is. You know, he's he's hobnobbing with you know the great and the good of European politics and, and all this stuff. So uh, good luck to him. His YouTube channel is great as well for you know, Formula One stuff. Like, 
I think as a pundit, I think he's great. Yeah, and again, you know, the fact that he's got a world title under his belt and he beat Lewis Hamilton in the same car gives him a lot of gravitas. Mm-hmm. I, I still think history judges Rosberg unfairly. You know, he put Schumacher away. Yes, I know it was an over-40s version of Schumacher, but everybody kept saying, and I even put this to Schumacher and Rosberg myself as an interviewer um, when I did the pit lane for Speed Channel, because uh, I'd stand in for Will Buxton once. Um, I, I, no, I said, I, ha, how irritating is it that every time you know, you have a good performance. Everyone says, what's wrong with Michael? Rather than saying, well, what's right with Nico? Like, why can't, why aren't we talking about how good of a job you're doing? It's, why are we talking about how bad Michael's doing? Um, I always thought that was the case. And, and it was the same when he was with Lewis. Like, it was like, well, what? How, he's lost to Rosberg. What's wrong with Lewis? Well, how about just Rosberg was quicker? <laughs> Can't mm-hmm. it just be that? Um, so, yeah. He does there wear way too much beige, though. Ooh, is there such a thing? Um, <laughs> I, I think he looks cool as fuck all the time. He does, uh, he does look cool. He is, he's a handsome bastard, and no mistake. Mm-hmm. He's, far too ugly to be, he's far too ugly to be wearing those big crash helmets. You know, that's why he's retired. You know, be a pretty boy on, on the catwalk doing the Amber Lounge stuff for Monica every year. You know, good luck to him. Just, just going on fashion tips, Lee, uh, which wrestler have you got a T-shirt on off tonight? Kenny Omega. <laughs> if we're going down that road, I am genuinely wearing a Tommy Wiseau hoodie. Wow. Oh, whoa. <laughs> Tommy Wiseau? Tom Bird? Yeah. Yeah, that's him, yeah. Is that the brother of Sam Bird? <laughs> no, no. You, you, you have a lot of bad movies to catch up on. I do. I do. I, I feel like I'm... I'm wandering into the realms of um, misnaming fashion brands. Like, for instance, um, Richard Meal, who you've probably seen extensively on Formula yeah, 2 and man. Formula 1 cars. There's a personal sponsor to Charles Leclerc, amongst others. Richard Meal, of course, um, in Formula 2 production circles, we call that Dick Thousand. <laughs> no way, I called it Dick Thousand a long time ago. <laughs> Did you really? Oh, was, yeah. Yeah, I think it was on this podcast actually. I think we called it Dick Thousand because it was on, it was all over the Saubers when Leclerc was driving uh, for the well Alpha Sauber. Um, so I think I think I called it Dick Thousand then. Ah, oh, well, we were calling it Dick Thousand a decade ago, so we were way ahead of you. And of course, the uh, most wrongly named F1 driver in history, Guido Vandergaard, or Guy at the Front. <laughs> <laughs> that is fantastic. <laughs> Uh, yeah, Tommy Wazo. It's not. It's he's not a fashion label. <laughs> um, <laughs> sorry. Oh, is he not? I'm sorry. No, well, he's got. He does. He does have a range, doesn't he? Yeah, but... he's got a range of clothes, but he's more famous for producing, directing, writing, and starring in a film called The Room, which has been described as a Citizen Kane of shit movies. Wow, at least I'm going to see. <laughs> he has been portrayed by um, who was it? it was was it James, James Franco? Franco. But he does have his own range of merchandise, yeah? Yes. Hoodies, like, hoodies underpants. and underpants, mainly. <laughs> okay, is it as good as the Will Buxton range? Possibly. Will Buxton has a range? <laughs> oh, oh, and now we've wandered into a realm that you don't know about. Oh, <laughs> yes. oh this, I'm looking forward to this. <laughs> Go does it come with bracelets? Go, yeah, I, I think, I, I'm sure it does. I'm Googling yeah, as got, we speak. Will's got his own line of merch. So... So I'm going to get my, I've got all my Will Boxton stuff on right now. And I've got my Joe Sayward hat and I've got my, uh, what else have I got? I've got my Jonathan Palmer laptop and I've got my, uh, I've got my Martin Brundle shoes on. Yeah. 
Get with the program, man. Where are what you? What has he got? On? I'm in his shop. <laughs> I mean, I, I... I nearly bought a pair of Jensen Button shoes, and then I looked at the price of them. For... Were they actually Jensen Button shoes that you were buying? Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah he'd, what, he'd, he'd worn them. No, no, no. It's like oh, he's got right. a brand. He's got a clothing brand, hasn't he? And they've got like 22 and there's little flashes of brawn colour on them. Why is a and Will so Buxton hat nearly really as expensive good. as a Kamoa hat? Um, <laughs> That's ridiculous. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. <laughs> but... but... But there, is, but there is Will Buxton merch available. He so. does. He has two white T-shirts, one grey long sleeve T-shirt, and a grey hat. I feel like I like. I always support my friends, um, <laughs> you know, private enterprises because I always think that's the, that's the most sincere form of endorsement you can give or encouragement is actually buying whatever thing that they're doing. Um, yeah, of course. But I feel like I feel like if I buy if I buy Will shirt, it might seem like I'm taking the piss. <laughs> like if I will. <laughs> Like if I wore it in front of him, am I taking the piss out of you? Like I like so I'm, I'm in two minds about it. Like do, do, do I buy one or do I not buy one? I don't know. Do you know what you should do? What you should do is you should wear one of Will Buxton's t-shirts behind Will Buxton on television. <laughs> no, I, do you know I'll wear I'll wear, I'll wear a Will Buxton shirt when he interviews me. That's what I'll do. <laughs> <laughs> and then I'll, I'll I'll have a Statman shirt, man. You can wear that. Brilliant. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Where's your range of merch? Come on. Oh well, you know we're we're in we're in discussions with Dick Thousand as I speak. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Oh, my, my train of thread has gone again completely. Oh, just like, you can just like, you can just let that hang in the air a couple more seconds <laughs> and carry on. Um, right, we mentioned Johnny Dumfries a couple of times, who, um, like you say, Sharon, sadly passed away today. Um, I'm guessing that a lot of our lot of our listeners won't have actually um, won't have actually come across him before, but he definitely had a very storied career in and out of motorsport. Can you um, can you sort of fill us in on some uh, some details? Yeah, well, firstly, Johnny Dumfries wasn't his real name; it was this nom de plume that he used to sort of disguise his real identity as the Marquis of Butte. Um, so he was already loaded out the ass before he ever became a, a racing driver. But he wanted to make it on his own terms. Like he didn't want to be, you know, Johnny Rich Kid, basically. And so, so you know, I think that's very, no pun intended, noble of him. Um, and he ended up as a, like a Ferrari test driver, I think. He won uh, British F3 and... And then came the F1 shot, you know, race seat because Ayrton Senna had, had vetoed Derek Warwick as the second driver at Lotus in 86. And um, John Player and Senna sort of agreed that Dumfries was the, the best suitable candidate who wasn't Derek Warwick, basically. Um, so Dumfries got the ride in 86 alongside Senna. Um, but unfortunately, he came into Formula One in 86 at the most the most powerful moment in Grand Prix history, where the, the normally aspirated cars were banned in '86. You had to have a turbo engine. That's the only year where turbo engines were mandatory in F1 in in the first turbo era. You know, '86 was the only year we were not allowed to use a normally aspirated engine. So um, he came in with this gargantuan amount of horsepower to deal with. Where you, you know those cars that you've heard about the wheel spin in fifth gear, um, it was a big step up. And uh, it's fair to say that Lotus weren't paying particular attention to um, the second Lotus drive at 
Ayetland's request. You know, as far as he was concerned, Senna had enough, uh, Lotus had enough resources resources to concentrate on Senna, and he did reward that. I mean, he took race wins and so on, and was pushing in the championship and so on. But it meant that the second car was a bit of an afterthought. Um, so that didn't help. Um, a side note, by the way, Johnny Dumfries' race engineer that year was Tim, Dem- Tim Densham, who went on to, if, I'm, if I remember right, was part of the Renault team that won the World Championship with Alonso. I think I'm remembering that correctly. Um, All right, okay. So, um, yeah, he scored two. He scored. He scored twice. He scored in Hungary and again in Adelaide. Of course, points were only down to the top six then. And in a conversation I just had on Twitter, someone asked me, "Was Johnny Dumfries the last man chronologically ever?" to drive a John Player Lotus in a Grand Prix? And the answer is yes, because he was the only Lotus running at the end of the last race in Adelaide 86, the last time they ran John Player on the car. Senna was already out. So Johnny Dumfries was the last man ever to drive a John Player special Lotus in Formula 1. And did he win? He won Le Mans as well, didn't he, after, after Formula 1? Yes. Yeah, he won Le Mans in 88, I think it was, with Jan Lammers. Was it Jan Lammers and Andy Wallace, I think? Um, wow. That was Jack Jaguar's first win since the the 1950s. I, I forgive if I, my recollection is not entirely 100% accurate there. Um, I, I'm recalling it from my recollections of the time. I was only eight at the time, but I was still following it because I was uh, such a nerd for it. Um, but yeah, Lammers, it was Lammers, Dumfries and Andy Wallace who won with Tom Walkinshaw was, was the was the the leading light behind Jaguar at the time. Someone fallen over in the background. I just heard that. Uh, that was a cat. <laughs> oh, was it? Well, no, no, none of these, none of these uh, conversations are complete without a cat getting in the action. <laughs> they, they've been having a fight in the background for about five minutes now, and I think, I think that's just ended it. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. So is that, yes, Dumfries, a Le Mans winner. Um, but then he, then he sort of buggered off and, and you know, eventually didn't have anything to do with racing at all anymore. And didn't do a lot of talking about it. He did Beyond the Grid, I think, last year with Tom Clarkson. And really, I couldn't recall ever even hearing him speak before. Um, because I was listening to him. He had a very um, gruff uh, sort of Londoner, you know, almost um, not Cockney, but just, you know, Dan Sath. Um, like, he was, he was definitely uh, well-spoken, but doesn't sound remotely Scottish. You know, I thought... Well, being the Marcus of Butte, Johnny Dumfries, he, you know, he must be Scottish. He must have a Scottish built to it. No, no, he sounds like an Englishman. Um, well, you'd have thought the same about the Duke of Edinburgh. <laughs> too he, he too spoke, soon? He spoke, he, he spoke about his... I didn't hear, I didn't hear what he said. You cut out. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> I said you'd have thought the same about the Duke of Edinburgh, or potentially too soon. <laughs> well. Well. <laughs> <laughs> Where's anyone those lawyers? Want, anyone want to take that? <laughs> not really, Sean. No, I'm, I'm all right with that. Right. Even, even I'll pass. Is this, a, is this a good time to mention that Damon Hill was in a band called Sex Hitler and the <laughs> No. What I do with the hormones? I'd have to email Damon and ask him. I, <laughs> I don't remember. I, I I think he may have talked about it. I'm sure he's talked about it. It might be in the book. It might be in his autobiography, Watching the Wheels. Um, I can't remember. Um, I I described uh, the Duke of Edinburgh the other day as uh, a person that's got a one percent and airplane mode. 
<laughs> I was I was surprised. Are we taking this podcast seriously right now, or what? Are we wandering into the, was wandering into the realm, realms of, of uh, you know stream of consciousness here? Um, <laughs> well, <laughs> while we're off topic and on the Duke of Edinburgh, the uh, post office of the Isle of Man have just launched their Happy 100th Birthday Prince Philip range, even though he's not a hundred until June. I I feel this is risky <laughs> and totally well, off topic. Here's here's where I earn my stat man keep. Okay? Oh, good. What, watch, hit, watch this. So, yeah, we're on a tricky subject right now. The Duke of Edinburgh, will he live to be 100? I'll tell you what, though. <laughs> there is one Grand Prix driver alive who already is 100. There's one Centurion Grand Prix driver. That's Ken McAlpine, who raced in Formula 1 in the 1950s. He turned 100 last September. Wow. And I have success, successfully... <laughs> navigated my way out of that political hot potato and back onto the subject matter in hand. Good work, Sean Kelly. <laughs> thank you, thank you. So, yeah, 2021 Formula One preview then. <laughs> are, we, are, we, are we doing that as well? well uh, just, might, as, just, might as well. It'll keep us occupied for the next eight, eight and a half months. General yes. chatter. General chatter. It's been very general. It's been very general. <laughs> um, now look what look what look what you miss if you don't normally subscribe to Patreon. These are normally Patreon shows when we're not in lockdown and all going stir crazy. Yeah, right. But we've all we've all as you can tell by now we've all completely lost our train of thought. Minds. Yeah. The so, whole thing's gone to hell, basically. So yes, the twenty twenty one season kicks off um, kicks off this weekend. Few um, few changes to the regulations. We now only get an hour's practice in the in both Friday sessions. Uh, we're going to be getting may well be getting sprint races at some some point this season. I think they were saying three races, with one of them being Silverstone. Yes, and the yeah, other I, two. I, I yes, I don't decided. remember the others. Yeah, I, I, I've heard. I've heard. <laughs> Maybe Canada was one of them, but um, yeah, I Brazil, think I Canada think Brazil. and Brazil, I think. Yeah. Um, which which do we want to talk about sprint races yet, or do we save that for later in the show? <laughs> oh, save that for later in the season. Oh, okay. <laughs> and um, of course, some new names for old teams on the grid. Renault are no more, and they are now Alpine. Devoid of yep. a team principal as well. They're actually it actually looks like they're running the team by committee this season. Oh. And when has that ever served Renault wrong? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I've got a great idea. Let's run a team by committee. That always works, you know, fantastically well. No, I mean, I think Davide Brivio is supposed to be de facto in charge, is he not? I think um, nomin- from yeah, nominally on paper, I think he is. He has the most senior title, but yeah, there seems to be a lot, a lot yeah. going on there. Because it's so it's so vital that the, the the parent company doesn't start wading into the affairs of the race team. I mean, Renault should have learned their lessons from how the team was run in the mid eight on the early eighties. Um, it kind of it became so constipated in terms of decision making that they they talked themselves out of a world championship with Alain Prost and then sacked the guy. So you know that was stupid. Um, so hopefully they don't go down that route. You know, you need someone in absolute command of the ship. Well, yeah, Alonso's driving for him. <laughs> <laughs> yes, well, you need someone to handle him as well. And, <laughs> and I'm not saying that facetiously either, um, because, you know, Alonso has a history of um, Machiavellian behaviour, shall we say. 
But he, um, was ne- he was never there at any of the main events. He, he was never what, sorry? He was never there or never aware at any of the main events. <laughs> Under no circumstances was he aware of any of the uh, inappropriate behaviour of anybody else that indirectly um, uh, co- caused him to be successful. <laughs> exactly. Um, but, you know, you should know what you're dealing with getting into it because, of course, when he won the World Championship of Brazil 2005, he did the deal with McLaren essentially on the podium that day because Montoya had won that race. I think Ron Dennis went up to collect the trophy and Alonso had won the title. And from there, sparked a conversation that led to Alonso signing for McLaren at the end of 2005 for the, two, for the 2007 season. So, um, you know, on the day you won the World Championship with your team, you're away off with, uh, you know, <laughs> you're away off with someone, you know, sort of the younger, more attractive one. You know, it's like, uh, whatever. <laughs> so, you know, you are dealing with a character like that who is going to be, I don't want to say a snake in the grass, almost seems um, like overplaying it. But put it this way, Alonso is going to look after Alonso's affairs. Um He's far from the only person to do it, and it's not like companies wouldn't do it. It's not like Renault haven't fired people, as I just mentioned, with Alain Prost. So, you know, he's well within his rights to do that. But, um, you know, Alonso, Alonso's a tricky customer. But, but if you can handle him, you'll get the most out of him. Flavio Briatore did it, and look at the results they got. That is true, and Flavio ended up with his hashtag in a nightclub in Monaco. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yes, he did. He did. Yep. Yeah. Uh, successfully not hanging out with me, even though I've been... Been past his nightclub enough times. I've been on his yacht. Never hung out with Flavio, and I feel like, and I feel like it's a tremendous shame for him. <laughs> Are you choking that? Cough, cough it up. Blues explosion. <laughs> it's in the it's in the it's in the summer. The bonus point for anybody who got that reference, by the way. <laughs> Um, the other name change on the grid this year is um, the team formerly known as Racing India Jordan Spiker Midland. Becoming... Yes, happy thirtieth, happy thirtieth anniversary to Jordan Midland Spiker Force India Racing Point. <laughs> Thirty years since they hit the grid with the Jordan One Nine One, and it's green again. And it's green as it just comes around full circle, and. Aston Martin break a record of their own this year, a Formula 1 record just by being on the grid because it will be the longest ever gap between consecutive appearances by the same constructor because Aston Martin raced very briefly in F1 in 59 and 60. Um, So 61 years between appearances. That will break the record. Uh, Mercedes held the record previously. um, from They they were absent from 55 to 2010. Now that record passed Aston Martin. Um, they 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 could have been contenders but they, they didn't really stick at it in F1. They were on the front row, entry 1959 with uh, Roy Salvadori. Carroll Shelby drove the car as well, a, a legendary American driver, who, of course, better known as lending his name to um, co- you know, Cobras and Mustangs and so on, subsequently. Um, and um, I, got, I, I was asked yesterday, do you think Aston Martin are here for the long term as a brand? And a lot of comparisons have been drawn with Jaguar how Jaguar bought Stuart. And I think mainly, you know, the color scheme is probably one of the other reasons why people feel as a yeah. similarity. Um, I think it's a quite different, this is a quite different situation because in the case of Jaguar, Jaguar was owned by Ford. So it was a company, you know, coming and going as, they, as, the, as the economic situation 
please them. With this, you have Lawrence Stroll. Lawrence Stroll owns Aston Martin. Lawrence Stroll owns the race team. So as long as Lawrence Stroll wants to be here, they'll be here because he has absolute say. So, um, yeah, it's Lawrence is going to be like Dietrich Mateschitz with Red Bull. You know, as long as Dietrich wants to go racing, Red Bull will still be there. Yeah, I mean, and that's the, a good thing. Yeah, I mean, the closest sort of comparison I can see, it's like um, Benetton taking over the Tolman team. Uh, yeah, yeah, it, it, it has that similarity. Um, and, you know, as long as uh, it was, was it, um, I can't remember the, the patriarch, was it Luciano Benetton, I think it was. Yeah, I think that was his time. name. Um, yeah, I mean, if Benetton wanted to be in it, they were in it. So it's not like a it's not like the the decision of a, comp, a company boardroom. So because a company boardroom will look at Formula One and say, <laughs> "You must be joking, son." That's why we've only got you know we've got so few manufacturers and Honda are pulling out at the end of the season. Um, but I know Lawrence gets a lot of stick because his son's in one of the cars. But one day his son will not be in one of the cars. But you know, be it by you know, be retirement or be going to another team, you know? So uh, one day, Lawrence Stroll will be there because Lawrence Stroll wants to be there. And the way he's going about things, the fact that he's massively expanded the factory, bought Aston Martin, brought that brand back, you can see why Lawrence Stroll was so successful in the fashion industry, because he just gets it. He, like, he, didn't just, he didn't just buy the first Formula One team that was going and think, right, I'll put, there you go, there you go, son. Happy, happy birthday, I've bought your Formula One team. And leave it at that. It was, let me buy a team that's already well put together, you know, knows what they're doing, and let's put huge resources behind it, the kind that are necessary to win. Massively expanding the factory, which is way overdue for, for Force India. Because um, mm-hmm. I think they were still in the same factory, basically the same factory force base that Jordan were back in 91. So, like, no wonder, they, you know, where are you going to put everything? Where are the all spares going? Um, now they've got a much, much bigger factory on the go and they've got this, this fantastic brand, which, you know, Lawrence is going to take good care of because he's taking care of, you know, all these great fashion brands, you know, Tommy Hilfiger and all that. So he knows what he's doing with all that stuff. So I think they're in very capable hands indeed. I mean, Lawrence Stroll may not be known as like a, a racing guy necessarily, um, but he knows what he's doing and if it, if you took Lance Stroll out of it, everyone would say, "Wow, Lawrence Stroll, that guy." I tell you what, he's he's big time. Like he's really going places, and he will, and that team will, um, unless he loses interest. That's the only thing that would dictate it. I think. I think he's um, if he gets fed up with the whole thing. But the fact that he, you know, he got Tom Brady and Daniel Craig in at the launch and all that stuff, you're like, "Wow, okay, well they're well connected." <laughs> <laughs> You've got to give him that. Yeah. And, and you know, that yeah. if the race team are wearing Jimmy Choo designed um, shoes and all that stuff, so he's got all the fashion stuff all sorted out. That was that was he, that was a low hanging fruit for Lawrence Stoll. He's got all those contacts, um, and I, and I think he'll just leave the team to get on with it from there. As long as he doesn't do any more media appearances like he did after the um, after the protests about the uh, pink Mercedes last year. Why? How was he? Uh, when he did the um, when he did the speech from the uh, from the paddock, and it looked like a hostage video. Oh yes, that's right. I remember now. Yeah, I mean, I, I haven't seen Drive to Survive yet. Um, like, full disclosure: I've actually only seen one full episode of Drive to Survive ever. Don't tell <laughs> me. Um, but um, I, I understand that Lawrence seems very scary 
in season three, um, which doesn't surprise me. It doesn't surprise me that a guy who's got into that position and is now in, is now in the upper echelons of Grand Prix racing because it's probably pretty scary when he gets angry. He does come across as terrifying in the rest in the racing point. Episode. He does have a sort of Bond villain right. vibe, I think. Mm. Right, yeah, but, yeah. but but then but then you look at his resume and you realise, you know what? There's a good chance that he's probably right. <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's like how Patrick Head. It's like you know Patrick Head at Williams, very scary. You know he gets thunderous reaction from get annoyed with his drivers. But then you look at his track record and you're like, you know what? Maybe Patrick has a point. He might know what he's doing. <laughs> Well, I mean, we we did say jokingly um, a couple of years ago. You know, Williams need to bring Patrick Head back to uh, to shout at people and get stuff done. And about two weeks later, they did. They did, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, the thing is, is you can't keep looking back, can you? You know, because the the, the sport moves on, um, and it's you know, it's a bit like in football. Like, I mean, you know, I'm a Liverpool fan, and the, the recent run of poor form has left people saying, oh. You know, is it does it mean that Steven Gerrard might soon get the job as Liverpool manager? And I always think to myself, oh God, here we go. Like the idea that you know, just because he played for the club means to be an amazing manager. Let's go, let's go back into the past and find another player that we really like and pretend that he's a fantastic manager. Um, yeah. So, what, what, what is Frodi Kipper up to these days? <laughs> is that a um, is that a York City reference? No, he he was a Liverpool player. I think he made something like three substitute appearances in two thousand, and that was about it. Right. What was his name? Frodi Kipper. <laughs> he was—he was—he was very Scandinavian. Well, I assume he still is. How do you spell his last name? I think it's K I double P E. Wow! I mean, you're, test, you're testing my memory there. <laughs> it's, I, I just remember him turn, turning up in. Um, and this is how far back we're going in Championship Manager. Oh dear. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, I, yes, I well, did. Yes, I did sign him for York City on the strength of his name. There you go. I, I knew there'd be a boot. I knew there'd be a booting present re- re- arc to this whole story. Um, community, move, community Stadium. We've moved now. Whatever it's called. <laughs> well, back in two thousand, it was booting present. It was yes. And the one bonus points from my understanding that that was York City Stadium. By the way. So <laughs> I'm, I'm very, I'm very impressed with that. Frodie Kipper is forty-three <laughs> years old, and he is still playing for Lillestrøm. So how many Liverpool appearances did he manage? Uh, according to Wikipedia, which is eh, zero. Oh. So he must have he must have appeared in pre-season or you know games like that. He Some appears to have he appears to have done one cup game by the looks of it. Right. Johnson's paint trophy maybe. Yeah, a big contribution <laughs> into Toto Cup. <laughs> I remember when that was a, that I remember that week when that was a thing. Um, yeah. Right, where, where were we? That's Aston Martin covered. Yeah, uh, now, it's going to be the last year for now, this time around, that we see um, Honda on the cars. Because, as you said, they're pulling out and Red, uh, the Red Bull organisation are taking over the intellectual property for the powertrains. Which yeah. is why they wanted that engine freeze for five years? Uh, I confess I haven't looked. <laughs> they wanted five, I think they got four. Did they? Ah, so they probably they probably really wanted four and went in with five just so they got negotiated down to what they want. Right. Well, it is a shame that Honda have pulled the plug when they have because I think, you know, they they might they might realise you know we we might have quit too soon here because we spent years dealing with the public relations disaster of the relationship with McLaren. Incidentally, another example where, you know, harking back to the glory days is not always a good thing. Um, getting back with McLaren 
So, of course, McLaren, what have they done? They got back together with Mercedes now. <laughs> um, but, yes, Honda might feel like they've pulled the plug a bit too soon. And by signing of the rights over to Red Bull, um, yeah, they might they might come to realize if the car is as good as it looks, that maybe we pulled out a bit too soon. There could have been a lot of capital to have been made from this success. Possibly. Um, but at least, oh. uh, you know, the good thing is that, is that at least they'll be going with their reputation restored. You know, if they if they'd pulled out after the McLaren thing, I mean, it might have been decades before they ever considered going back to Formula One. Uh, the example I, I would cite there is Porsche, when Porsche had the disaster with footwork in 1991. Um, they, you know, they haven't touched the sport since. And, you know, here we are now, 30 years later, and the BBC reported that maybe the parent company is looking at F1 in the near future. Three decades later, for Porsche, a company that thrives on racing heritage, never come to never come back to Formula One since that debacle. So it's good that Honda picked themselves up and dusted themselves off, and they've won races and got pole positions and so on, and proved that they could make a power unit. So at least they'll go with that. And hopefully, it won't end like the last Honda era ended with the car in flames on the uh, on the side of the road. <laughs> but you know, you could have this inter- you could have this situation in the future where Honda come back into Formula One racing and compete against Red Bull, who have the evolution of the engine that they sold to them. Yeah, it is possible. Yeah, because Honda would have to make their own engine again. They, you know, they, they, they would have to, because having sold the IP to Red Bull, they would then have to start again. I predict a lawsuit if that happens. Worse, worse than anything, we'd get slapped with for 90% of what we've said tonight. <laughs> unless, unless, I mean, I obviously haven't read any contractual agreement, unless there's some sort of thing that says Honda cannot return for a minimum of X number of years, you know, to ensure that there's no carryover, there's no chance of them copying the intellectual property of Red Bull Technologies. The thing is, though, when it comes to contracts with anything to do with F1, they are just loopholes with occasional words attached. So even even if there is something like that, it might not even stand up in court. Yes, but when you're dealing with Honda Motor Company and Red Bull, I would say that those are two juggernauts that are probably making sure that the legal jargon is all in good order. So uh, you can expect, if, if, it go, if it went to the courts between those two, then uh, it's going to get expensive in a hurry. Mm. You can hear lawyers rubbing their hands in glee just in case now. Uh, yeah, they might. Yeah. <laughs> I actually call them ambulance chasers, but I guess in this case they'd be uh, engine contract chasers calling <laughs> Honda and said, you know, have you been involved in a poor decision at work? Call now. <laughs> Christ, don't say that. Ferrari, you'd be on the phone all day. <laughs> right. Um, in fact, we'll talk, we'll talk about we'll talk about Ferrari next because they're, they're bouncing back from... Um, what can only be described as a season from hell? Are they bouncing well, back, or yeah, are they do we, do we know that? style bouncing back? Oh, needless to say, they'll have the last laugh. Yeah, I don't know if they're bouncing back so much as they're just still there. Well, we'll see, won't we? I, I'm I'm fascinated by the comments of Mika Salo um, on the situation there. I don't know if you read those. Yeah, we talked we talked about this a little bit we with did, yeah. um, with Craig Scarborough last week. I wouldn't mind hearing your thoughts on it as well. Well, what did Craig say? I'm interested to hear, hear what he said. Uh, a summary of his thought. Um, basically, it was well. If anyone, if anyone will know, he will. And yes, it sounds feasible that that would be the kind of thing that um, would get landed on them, and yeah. kept, and kept secret. And if it's all part of the intellectual property that Ferrari want to protect, yes, they're not gonna not gonna say what it was because then that basically opens up to admitting what they did wrong. Yeah, 
Well, I'm fascinated by Craig's um, take on it because, of course, Craig is a technical guy and I come at it from a statistical side. So we both have, you know, we're, we could swap notes, both coming at it from two completely different ends of the ether here. Um, Charles Leclerc qualified fourth on the grid, I think, four times last year. And every time he did, he went backwards in the race. Um, he was on the podium twice, but he only in the first four races, he was on the podium twice. But he only ran nine laps in that time in a podium position in the four races. So it was an opportunist's move. You know, there was late race shenanigans and he, and he stole the podium. Um, the fact that he would tend to reverse during the race um, tallies with Mikasalo's comments that they were allowed to use less fuel. So, yeah, that, it, statistically, that, that actually squares with, with what Salo said. So if that was a one-season punishment and they don't have to do that this year, then in theory, at least, Ferrari should be far more competitive this year. And that, and that goes for Alpha and for Haas as well, I, I would well imagine, because it's the same power unit. Yeah, so, I, think, I think what um, I think Salo's comments were actually about Alpha, and they'll be better now that they've got the Ferrari engine allowed to, allowed to use the full amount of fuel this time. Right. Yeah, I mean, it would explain why they suddenly tanked. Um, all three teams tanked. You know, it was it was, and it was it was a consistent thing where the Ferraris would be slowest in a straight line, and you know, Raikkonen had the worst season of his career. Haas scored two points. I think they scored ninety something points only two seasons previously. Um, so it was a, it was a really noticeable step change in performance, step change down for all of the Ferrari powered cars. Well, I did um, um, I did a little bit of um, little bit of stat work of my own after qualifying for Austria last year, and seven teams were faster in the Austrian Grand Prix qualifying with their fastest Q time in any of the three qualifying sessions than they were in 2019, and three teams were slower. And it was the guess Fer- which ones. And it was the Ferrari teams that all posted slow, slower times than uh, yeah than the last time they were at that circuit. So it, it therefore would make sense to me that that the the fuel, whatever they were having to do with fuel, was you know the source of the, the lack of competitiveness. Um, and I don't know. How, I don't know how part from main qualifying would have affected them, like for a single lap. Because if Leclerc could put it fourth on the grid, even with a, a lack of power um imagine what the car would do at full whack um so i was it do you know i can't remember if salo said it was a, a a reduction on the fuel flow or a reduction on the total fuel allowable i think it was the total fuel allowable okay so it would therefore affect the car more in the race um so that would explain why leclerc would go backwards because obviously during qualifying you can run you can run it at full chat because it's just get the fastest lap you can with the machinery you've got there then in theory, never... unless unless the unless the engine, unless the power unit was designed to handle less fuel, unless they were specifically orienting it, thinking let's make the best of a bad situation here and make the make make it more um, economical, but that so that may have ultimately cost them pacing qualifying as well. But look at what happened at the uh, the fastest circuits last year. Um, Leclerc at Monza was out in Q two, and Vettel. Okay, fair enough, he got stuck in traffic, I think. But he was out in Q1, so you know, it was the worst um, worst performance in an Italian Grand Prix from a Ferrari team in many years, um, qualifying and race. But you know, so that that doesn't really lend itself to you know to having normal qualifying, but suffering in the race. Yeah, um, I, it was actually the only the, it was only the third year in the history of the World Championship where Ferrari did not lead a lap 
can you name the other two? What, can you come up with any suggestions for the other two seasons where that happened? I'll, I'll say 1992. Correct. Yep. Uh... When they had the terrible active car that, did, that wasn't very active. Yeah. And they also uh... had, they were also in political disarray as well. Well, yeah, it was Ferrari. <laughs> yes, this is all in a day's work. <laughs> Um, sort of... yeah, the other one, the other one's more difficult. Um, yeah, I reckon you, we're going you, back you, in the day a bit. Yes, the other one. I'll give you the answer. To the other one is 1973, um, which was a season where Ferrari were winless, and they they actually didn't even show up at a couple of the races. They didn't show up at the Nurburgring, which there was a fascinating side story where Jackie X, who was Ferrari's works driver, drove a McLaren in the German Grand Prix in 1973, Ooh. finished third. <laughs> so he went from being a Ferrari driver to being a McLaren driver. Um, finished on the podium, and then uh, and then he went off and drove for Williams, and then started seventy four season at Lotus. So, in a short space of time, he drove for all four of those teams. <coughs> he had one damn good contract, guy. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's the weird, the weirdness that he went. You know, Ferrari aren't showing up. Okay, well, I'm going to go and drive a McLaren then. Fair enough. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> Yeah, so so only the third time that's ever happened. That's how bad their season was. The worst season since 1980. They finished in the top four in the, in the Constructors' Championship every year since 1982. No Champions League football for Ferrari this year. Maybe it'll make them a little bit more competitive in the Premier League. Whee! <laughs> <laughs> so we'll be seeing Ferrari in the uh, in the Europa League part of Formula One this season, then. <laughs> Maybe but it would only be the second team. It'll be the it'll be the uh, the junior program. <laughs> It puts, uh, you know, uh, Mick Schumacher and uh, who else? Marcus Armstrong, or, you know, and so on. Now, Robert Schwartzman's the one to look out for, I think. Schwartz, yes, yes. If we're going to go into the realms of F2, I somebody asked me yesterday, who do you think is the best up-and-coming driver? I said, Robert Schwartzman, if he can figure out how to qualify. Because he, he was he was very poor in qualifying last year in F2. But I think it, on race pace, he's, he's, he looks outstanding. If he can just figure out his qualifying, he'd be, he'd be on top of everything. He seemed to have it when he was in F3. Just um, just something in the car obviously got away from him. We should start an F2 podcast one of these days. <laughs> like we haven't got enough on at the minute. <laughs> I actually have just taken a break from F2 preparation for this weekend to record this. So I'm, that's what I'm doing once we uh, get off this call. I'm going back to doing F2. <laughs> we should have done more about F2 tonight. It's fresh, fresh in the mind. Uh, right, Williams. First season not owned by the family. Or first full season not owned by the family. It's going to be an odd one. The Williams uh, name on the grid, no Williams in the paddock. I'm glad the Williams name has survived, first and foremost. I hope that they will do it justice. And by that, I mean do it justice to what the name represents historically rather than what it has meant lately. Um, and it's great that Frank got out, you know, at a time of his choosing and, and, and the name survives. You know, Williams were always my team. I've never... I've never shied away from saying that Frank is the Enzo Ferrari of our generation because he absolutely is. Um, and I mean that in terms of longevity, in terms of number of victories, championships. He absolutely is the Enzo Ferrari of our generation. Uh, innovation as, as well. Innovation. Um, yeah, it's, it, it's, it's sad that we don't have that family link anymore. But at least the team's ongoing and it seems like they're trying to put plans in place here to to be more competitive. And it is good that they are still in F1 at a time where we have this sliding scale of error development because now they have, you know, 20% more time in the wind tunnel than do Mercedes. 
And while you're, while you're developing next year's car, that's extremely important because you've got this whole new set of regulations. And then next year, if they're still last in the World Championship next year, they get 40% more wind tunnel time. So, you know, the, it's, it's a very attractive investment opportunity, actually. Um, you think, wow, okay, there's so much potential there to doing something that, you know, if, if, you, if you pulled a couple of aero guys out from Mercedes and they ended up at Williams with 20% more development time, you're thinking, hey, we're onto something here. This is looking really good. Do you think they're trying to do at Williams what McLaren have done in terms of, you know, shuffling a few people around, getting the, you know, a, a new structure in place and um, just, just sort of rebuilding the team from the inside out uh, to the point where they, they start becoming a lot more competitive than, than being that team that really shouldn't be languishing down ninth, tenth in the champion in the you know in the championship. Well, they, they've suffered in recent years by being their own team they, you know, they didn't have the, like the Mercedes relationship, like let's get Mercedes rear end or Mercedes gearbox or, or Haas with the Ferrari link up. You know, they were always as, as much as they could be an all Williams operation. And that's what's dragged them down effectively. Cause they just don't have the resources to be competitive against everybody else. You know, when, when racing point are basically tracing point as they were called, <laughs> um, you know, and, and, and they had the Mercedes collaboration. Um, they couldn't compete with that. I hope that with the new era, you know, they, they, they don't feel like they have to continue that. Because ultimately, if the car crosses the line first, no one cares who made the gearbox. You know, it doesn't need to be all Williams everything. You know, if you can buy off-the-shelf components, then do it. Don't feel bad about it. So, yeah, I, I hope there's a change of philosophy there. I'm not sure that the, uh, the infrastructure of the team necessarily needs a complete overhaul so much as that philosophy. That's the single biggest thing, I think. If they could get if they could get under the wing of one of the manufacturer teams, then they might be off and running. I think the most the most attractive one to get involved with would actually be Alpine, Renault. Because Renault that's the only Renault powered car on the grid now. So they could use a little bit of support when it comes to power units. They could use another set of cars on the racetrack. So there might be a deal to yeah. be cut there. Well, it's going to be, um, it's definitely going to be an interesting year, two years for how the sort of transition. I mean, they've got, um, they've got Josko Peter in there now, who, um, his last stint in Formula One lasted about a week. Yes. <laughs> it did. But, Which... you know, he, he's, um, he has been successful running other operations. So, you know, that, that might be what they need. And, you know, recovering from just the general, Lack of funding, lack of staff, lack of parts, and lack of a decent car. Yes. Well, I think having Josh there will be a good start because the man knows how to run a race team. So he knows how it's supposed to all go together. Um, and it will you know, be a new philosophy. As I said, I, I hope it's a new philosophy. Um, as you said, he previously was at McLaren for about three months in 2016. Um, so I guess he had, I guess he did his work experience with McLaren, you could say, um, <laughs> but I overlooked the fact that he's worked for a few other people you might've heard of like BMW and Porsche and Cyber and, and so on. Um, but not in, not necessarily in Formula One, you know, in world rallying and Dakar and all that. So yeah, there's, 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 there's an upside there. It's like, like they haven't, it, it isn't like a bunch of chances bought a race team and then brought in some dude that they 
Googled, you know, this, these are got serious, serious uh, motorsport resumes that they're bringing in. So that's good. Oh, they're talking about a bunch of chances that have got an F1 team and brought people in. Um, Haas is in an odd position this year. Yes, yes, the Russian national team. <laughs> the uh, neutral athletia national team. You're not allowed, yes, to, you're not allowed to say Russian. <laughs> yes, they are, the, they are the independent Olympic athletes team. And I tell you what, as a great man once said, they'll be dancing in the streets of independent Olympic athletes tonight. <laughs> <laughs> We've not had a Jeff Stelling reference on here in years. In fact, I think you probably yeah. did the last one. <laughs> well, there you are. Uh, it's not just Mark and Lard I do. I, I've got a whole repertoire here. <laughs> um, um, yeah, unbelievable, so, Sean. Yeah, I, I, I've got a, I have a few friends at, at Haas, and and some of them are not at Haas anymore. Some of them were cut um, both before and during the, the coronavirus pandemic, and they were just lamenting to me, like, God, I mean, it's amazing we never lost our ability to shoot ourselves in the foot from a public relations standpoint. <laughs> you know, we, we've gone from, you know, beard face, uh, you know, beard face, yeah. beard, beard face McSkinty, um, yeah. with his bunch of chances. And, you know, the fact that he never had a wash. Um, I mean, honestly, it got us, it, I'm, I'm not making this up. It got as pure while as them saying, that guy, he doesn't even shower. Like, I swear to God, he comes in wearing the same scruffy clothes every day. Like, he doesn't change. He just wears the same stuff. So it's just like, geez, like, as if, it, as if he didn't have enough to deal with with you. Like, you don't even, you're not even nice, it's not even nice to sit next to you, you know? Um, so there was that. And then, and then you think, okay, finally, we're rid of that. What have we got next? Oh, great. We have a guy who was accused of sexual assault. Well, we really couldn't have played this one better, could we? Um, and he's representing a country that is officially not a country within the realms of the sporting world right now. So brilliant. We could not have. We played absolute blinder. And you know what? Now no one's talking about the fact that the son of arguably the greatest racing driver in Grand Prix history is in the other car. Well played, everybody. Well played. <laughs> well, yeah, you not put it like that. <laughs> <laughs> also dr drive to survive spoiler alert i am going to mention just one thing here for the, from there there's a there's an episode that focuses uh quite um quite strongly on Haas. uh there's a phone call that gunter steiner has with gene Haas, where gene Haas says i don't want to put any more money into this team oh well that would certainly tally with the idea that he'd be looking to sell at some point and um i think dimitri mazepin would be the number one contender to buy it yeah we've been saying that for for a little while but um yeah it would it would appear that 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 getting a, a headline sponsor whoever it was was number one on gunter steiner's uh good steiner's list to of uh, things to do in 2020 um, and obviously he managed it because they've got uh, you know the the Ural Cali sponsorship in um, and a driver as well in uh, Mazepin, but it's uh, yeah it's leaning towards that team be, being having less and less Gene Haas involvement and that and that French Serbian flag on the front wing. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes. Accidental Serbia. Um, oh, I think I've yeah, just found that, that's their new name for this season. <laughs> You're welcome, everybody. Um, I tell you what, I, I, um, 
who's your man from Serbia who tried to have an F1 team? I've forgotten his bloody name now. Um, yeah, you remember uh, 10 St- years St- ago. St- Stefan Racing, Stefan F1. Yes, yes. That's it. That's it. He, he should claim victory. So yeah, there we go. Serbia's on the F1 grid. Everybody can go home. <laughs> <laughs> it was uh, Zor- Zoran Stefanovic, I think his name was, wasn't it? That's it. Yeah, um, yeah. That's it. Yeah. And he sang- you know, you should never trust somebody who sounds like they've escaped from a circus. Um, <laughs> I present Zoran the Magnificent <laughs> and his band of and his band of Formula One minstrels. Um. William's in trouble with Jost Capito, then. (laughs) I still, you know, no, Jost is a sideshow. Everybody comes to see Zora and the Magnificent. (laughs) Um, So, yes, anyway, back on track. Um, I can't can't say where the track is anymore. (laughs) Okay, you're you're so far beyond the line, the line is a dot to you. (laughs) Dimitri Mazepin, so he owns your Orkaley, or co-owns your Orkaley, um, or the parent company and, and so on. And, you know, I, I've heard, obviously, serious, to be serious for a moment, the the, the, the suggestion that Nikita Mazepin um, has been, you know, sexually assaulting women is very serious indeed. And I don't want to, I don't want to see the lighter side of that because there is no lighter side of it. Um, no. And, at the same time, I know that there's, you know, the, the the woman in question posted an apology, which was, I think, was then taken down and 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 so on. And and yeah, we're all speculating here in the social media world, and and a lot of us are making it to, you know, we we're, we're casting it into whatever we want it to be, whether it's he's a terrible person or he's not so bad. You know, we one day, one day, the the truth of the matter will come out, and we'll know definitively what what happened there. But suffice to say. One thing we can agree on is that Mazepin comes into Formula One on a distinctly negative tone. I can't remember someone coming into Formula One in a more negative, a more blaze of negative publicity than has Nikita Mazepin, which objectively is a shame because he did. He was a winner in F2 last year. He was on the podium six times. Um, he he is a reasonably fast um, driver. I mean, back in. 2018, he was the runner-up to Antoine Hubert in the last GP3 series, uh, and yeah. he beat he beat Callum Islet uh, that season. So he's obviously pretty good. Um, but we're not talking about that because we're talking about his his off-track, um, uh, well, you know, dalliances. Let's let's say that's probably too light of a word, but um, he 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 should know full well. Let's put it this way: he should know full well now that y- you're on you're already on borrowed time with this you know you if if you if you behave like this again we'll know that okay that wasn't that wasn't just boyhood exuberance going a bit too far and it is you know it's 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 actually a trend that's how you behave so that's what he should know going in is that yeah okay once we can let it slide twice is a trend twice twice in, indicates that you there, you did not learn a lesson at all this is how you normally behave so we'll see yeah and the thing is as well formula one drivers are expect not not even expected you know they 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 are supposed to be um role models um and that's not a very role modely thing to be to be doing is it let's be honest so i can it's see not... why he's even though on merit he's got the driver talent um, and he's proven driver-wise that he's got the talent to be in Formula One. 
Uh, I can understand the uh, chagrin of a lot of people uh, saying, you know, maybe he shouldn't be because this isn't a great start. However, it is just a start. I personally think he should be given a, a chance to redeem himself, but we'll see. Indeed. And on, on a greater note, um, you know, obviously we live in the sort of the Me Too era, um, which uh, is is a great it's a great period of reckoning for that women are being listened to more about these things, but it's also an opportunity. It's also an opportunity. What I don't like being is a guy standing on the sidelines saying, isn't it terrible how guys are? And then, you know, sort of dismissively saying, well, how lucky that I am in no way part of the problem. And I often, what I've I've frequently done is thought to myself, you know, there were times down the years where I may have behaved in a way that was uncomfortable for women. And I don't want to say it because it's, you know, it's like I don't I'm not saying I sexually assaulted women, but I'm saying like, I, I said something or acted in a way that made women feel um, uncomfortable in my presence. And that in itself is something that as all as all men, we should be reevaluating our own behavior and thinking, well, wait, before we throw Nikita Mazepin under the bus and say, there we go. Problem solved. Wasn't that great? We should all go and, 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 and reevaluate our own behavior and say, is that is it was that acceptable because there was definitely i can say in 18 years of formula one there's things maybe i did or said ten, you know a decade ago where i think there is no way in hell i would behave like that now and that's 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 really the upshot we should be all be doing that we should all be thinking wait a minute you know that's not that's not acceptable you know and maybe we didn't realize we should, if, even if we didn't realize it was unacceptable we should be at least saying now that is not acceptable and then that way, you know, if Nikita Mazepin, bear in mind he's very young, you know, we're all we're judging him as though he's like this mature individual. He's a kid. You know, most Formula 1 drivers are kids. And we all did stupid shit when we were kids. Um, this might be just stupid shit if he learns from it, as opposed to being, you know, avoid him at all costs. He's, he, you know, he's basically a sex offender, which is a quite different ac- ac- accusation to make. So, um it's 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 you know it's a it's a very it, it, it's a deep situation you know it's 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 not something where you can just say oh the guy's an asshole you know like no wait a minute there's a, a there's a there's a problem in all of society and formula one has it as well and as all guys let's at least use this as an opportunity to pause for thought and think well wait a minute have i also been part of the problem yeah I can't. There was no joke. There was, there, yeah. there was no joke on the end of that. I'm oh, sorry if you were expecting. No, a little bit no, polite. not no, no, well. not, in, not in the slightest. I, I, I just don't think there's a better way of putting it, to be honest. I, I, I would say, I've seen, I've seen witness behaviour in Formula One where I've thought to myself, even 15 years ago, I thought that's all a bit pervy. Like, I, I feel like you're, you're not really. I wouldn't personally behave like that, you know. And, and it is nice now that there's, there's more pressure. To not behave like that, like you, and you to are call not... out behavior like that as well. Yeah, and, and I think you know. I mean, I'm 40 now. I don't feel so bad about wandering around the paddock and 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 saying to somebody, "Hey, you're out of order." Whereas when I was, you know, let's say I was Mazepin's age, 22, I was just happy to be there. You know, you wouldn't go in there and start moving the furniture around and everything, would you? You're just like, "Wow, I'm in." So you you think you see how everyone behaves and you think, "Okay, this is how they do it." Um, I guess. Now it's a little bit different. You know, you're 18 years into it, and you think if you if you see that sort of behaviour, you, you'd step in because you're more confident that you're in the right. Um, 
So, you know, at least at least we have that going for us. Yeah, definitely. Um, I must be worried to move on now. Um, Team Meme, McLaren. Um, we've had the Carlos Sainz and Lando Norris bromance. Yeah. Are we going to get the Daniel Ricciardo and Lando Norris one? Well, I think Daniel Ricciardo is a hard person to not get on with. He seems he, it seems it. it. It definitely seems that way. And Norris seems similarly inclined. Um, and, and interestingly, I mean, we've just obviously talked about what was a very serious subject. I saw um, on Twitter this morning some comments attributed to Lando Norris on his Twitch stream that seemed to be a little bit disrespectful to the opposite sex. And again, I, I, I would hasten to add, you know, he's still a kid and you're going to say some stupid stuff when you're a kid. We all did. All right. Don't nobody who's listening to this say, well, when I was 22, I didn't say that. Yes, you did. You did. You're such a bullshitter. You definitely said stuff that was stupid or inappropriate. Some of us still do. Um, so, you know, we have to say, look, hang on a minute. Don't be canceling everybody <laughs> just because of one thing. All right. Let's let's see if it's a, a trend of behavior. Anyway, moving back to the on track stuff. Um, Ricardo, did, did he jump from Renault too soon? I still think Ricardo left Renault because um, he thought Renault was going to pull out of Formula One. I think when the coronavirus struck, he must have looked at Renault's past behavior of pulling out whenever the economic times were, were bleak and thought, I better get out of here before Renault make the decision for me. So he went to McLaren. Um, I think I, 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 I'm still convinced that, that that was the trigger. Because why else would you swap one for the other? They were very similar. At the time he made that decision, they were, they were, they were equitable from a competitive standpoint. So um, it remains to be seen if he's right. Will they have the bromance? Well, I mean, they, I, I'd say that I hope people aren't like planning around the bromance because I find all that to be a little bit contrived. Like you want, that's what you want him to be. It's a bit like Raikkonen. I feel like Raikkonen has a bit of a cult of personality about him these days whereby you want him to be cantankerous and angry. I call him the Van Morrison of Formula One. And <laughs> I, feel like, I, I, feel, I feel like he's, I feel like he's baited into that behavior. Like, like get, go on, Kimmy, just be completely like, obnoxious and indifferent to the whole thing. And, you know, make, it feel, make, us, make, us, make us feel like that you don't want to be here. You know? Whereas, Kimmy, if you see Kimmy on social media, he seems just fine. Um... I, of course, have spent social time with Kimmy. It's been a long time. I mean, back in when he was at McLaren. But, I mean, he was great. There was no problem. Um, it's just that when he's at the racetrack, he becomes this, this, this sort of, this individual. He's playing a character, Kimmy Raikkonen, where he doesn't want to talk to you and he doesn't want to say anything and you just plug him into the car like a light bulb and off he goes. Yeah, I mean, if he, if he was that Marty in real life, would he actually put in, um, put in pictures of his kids on Instagram? That's that's right. not that's not a that's not what a Mardi person does. If you saw the video that Sauber slash Alfa Romeo did of him taking Antonio Giovinazzi around the Nordschleife last year, have you seen that video? Friend of mine sent yeah. it. To, friend of mine sent it to me today. Thanks, uh, thanks, John. I'll um, so, I'll share that on the um, on the socials later on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You you have to watch that video because it, it it really it's Kimmy's real behaviour. So you see what Kimmy's actually like. And uh, he's taking great delight in scaring the crap out of Giovinazzi around the Nordschleife by pretending he doesn't know where the road goes or, you know, <laughs> like there's a, there's a jump here. I hope it goes straight after this bit, you know, <laughs> all this. All this sort of, 
And then, you know, there's a bit where Giovinazzi's really, really bricking it. And then Kimi says, you know, maybe maybe we should take a rally car out and you could be the co-driver since you seem to enjoy it so much. <laughs> um, and and Giovinazzi's supposed to be asking him questions, you know, what, which, which would you rather be? Would you rather be this or this? And he, he hardly gets any other questions out because he's, he's so, like, holding on to the oh shit handles in the car. You know? Like, <laughs> Yeah, it's I've brilliant. I've never heard him call that before, but that fits. The, the, the oh shit handles, yeah. <laughs> Jesus handles, as I've heard them called. <laughs> yeah. Bloody there you go. I'm, I'm, I'm proud to be contributing to the three legs, four wheels lexicon. <laughs> yeah, so we've got, we've got the old ones. We've got, we've got oh shit handles. We've got accidental Serbia. Buff, <laughs> buffalo cauliflower. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like we could play we could play some Statman Bingo at some point later <laughs> in the season. It will be nearly time to make some buffalo cauliflower again. Oh, it will. <clears throat> that's, yeah. the, that's the main part of the season I'm looking forward to. <laughs> um, oh, absolutely. Right. Um, yeah. Onto um, onto Alpha Sauber. Um, retained driver lineup. Everyone was surprised when Giovinazzi was retained for another year. Um, numbers wise, how how does he how does he look? Just purely from, I suppose, a data and stats perspective. Because a lot of people have slated his driving, but I don't think he's all that bad. And Ferrari obviously doesn't, and Fred Vasseur obviously doesn't. No, I mean, he's certainly a steady peddler. Um, I, I would say that there's nothing particularly, uh, nothing particularly stands out, but it was hard to stand out in that car last year. I mean, Raikkonen had the worst year of his career in that car last year. Um, it'd be tough for anybody to make an impression given how bad the Ferrari power unit was in particular. So, you know, this season is a shot at redemption. If we assume that Ferrari are back up to, you know, full full pace uh, with their power unit. Um, but no, there, I mean, there's nothing... Uh, he's right down the middle. He, he, he's almost... I, I, I hesitate to use the term Mr. Average, because that always sounds like a, 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 you know, a, a criticism. You are Mr. Average. But he really is average. He's he's the epitome of the term. He doesn't, you know, he doesn't have too many accidents. He doesn't um, have. He did have that crash in um, in Spa. Um, he doesn't have too many accidents. He's sort of middling with qualifying. He's always. He usually brings a car home, and he's fairly unassuming. So, yeah, I mean, all good. And he and he did make Q two um, a, a brace of times at the end of the season last year, which is an improvement by by Alfa Romeo terms. That was a really good job. So he does have that as well. But he's paired with Raikkonen, who um, is the only, I was going to say he was the only driver who was active during the Jurassic period. Um, but now, of course, he's rejoined by his old mate, Fernando Alonso, who made his debut in the same Grand Prix. Um, both of them, when they race next week, will have been active for more than 20 years. Only Michael Schumacher ever in the history of the World Championship had been active 20 years after his Grand Prix debut. And they both wow. joined, joined that record, uh, joined that uh, elite list this weekend so Giovinazzi yeah sort of average what can I say he's not particularly he's, he's, he's not standout but he's also not particularly bad either you know he's not he's not like oh what's his asshole doing in Formula 1 he, he absolutely is a Grand Prix driver it's just he hasn't really had a chance to shine yet Ferrari obviously rate him highly because he was you know put into that seat by uh, by Ferrari and they've you know Alfa Romeo have chosen to to keep him in there. So by that token, he must be at the moment next in line. Should one of the Ferrari drivers decide to go somewhere else, they would have to look at 
you know, you think they'd be looking at Giovinazzi, but there's quite a strong contingent of young Ferrari drivers coming through. Mick Schumacher, of course, being one of them, driving for Haas this year. Uh, and we've already spoken about Robert Schwartzman, uh, Callum Eilert, uh, Marcus Armstrong. There's a lot of drivers ready to, to you know, step up should Giovinazzi fail. Sure. Well, I think I've often said um, about GP2 slash F2, the, the real talents I look for are the guys who are quick in the first season. Because a lot of guys um, climb the mountain eventually, you know, by hanging around in the in the formula, they end up winning the title because of their superior experience. What I look for is the guys who are quick out of the box. Yuki Sonoda yeah. was that uh, last year, moving straight up from F3, had a really good F2 year, now is in the F1 team straight away. Giovinazzi in 2016 in GPG was the runner-up in the championship, and he only just missed out on the title to his teammate, Pierre Gasly who had been in the series for a while. So yeah. he was straight there and straight on the pace. So there is certainly, there is a previous example of him showing that kind of ability. Mick Schumacher, by contrast, did two seasons in F2, never qualified on the front row. That's the stat that they don't want you, they don't want you to know. He never qualified on the front row in, in, in Formula 2. So for me, the jury's still out on Mick Schumacher by comparison. But I would have said that I'm surprised that if Ferrari were really handling Schumacher's career to the fullest extent. Why didn't they pair him with Raikkonen at Alfa Romeo? Why did they put yeah. him into this PR disaster zone at Haas? Um, surely, if, if they were really, really wanted to take care of Mick Schumacher's career, they would have put him at Alfa Romeo. I think Giovinazzi's better off. I'm sure Giovinazzi's relieved he's not at Haas right now. Yeah, but I was almost convinced last year that Giovinazzi would move on. And um, I, well, I actually does. thought, yeah, yeah, no, I thought Alfa Romeo would actually swap both drivers, but then they went and kept both of them. Really threw me. Um, and Giovinazzi, I thought was going to go to Haas. I, I, I did think that was going to happen. Um, Mick Schumacher looked almost certain to go to Alfa Romeo. Um, so I do find it strange as well, given that Haas have said that they're not going to develop their 2021 car at all. Like that's it. The way that. You know, the car that turns up in, in Bahrain this weekend is probably the car that's going to finish the season. Um, they're not going to be competitive, you would have thought, especially towards the middle part to the end of the season. Yeah, exactly. It's definitely, it, it's not a drive that I think anybody would particularly covet right now. But I'm sure, I mean, a lot of keeping the driver's lineup stable at, at Alfa Romeo is, obviously there's Ferrari influence, Clearly, it's going to be Ferrari influence because you've got the Ferrari power unit and you've got Alfa Romeo badge on the car. Um, yeah. And secondly, I think Raikkonen's longevity, a huge amount of it is down to his his apolitical nature. The fact that he is just so straightforward. You know, I, I, I don't think... I, I'm sure he gets angry on the radio and so on, but he can't be like that in the background because if they were, they'd get tired of him. They'd just think, why do we have to have this asshole around all the time? We could get someone else. Because <laughs> um, he's, he's obviously, he's not the cheapest Grand Prix driver available, is he? You know, you could obviously get somebody much cheaper from F2. You know, they chew their arm off to drive the car. So, um, Raikkonen doesn't really play any political games. You know, he's you know, staring at the window, whatever he's doing. Um Unlike Alonso, you know, because Alonso brings a lot of baggage with him. Raikkonen doesn't, you know, Raikkonen's fairly straightforward. So I think that that's a lot of the reasons why they hang on to Kimi. I mean, he also has the marketing, um, there's the marketing side, you know, the fact that he is Kimi and a lot of fans are fans of Raikkonen. I think that that helps too. If you just put, if you'd put 
don't know, for, argu- for argument's sake, if you put Felipe Drugovic in the car, you're not going to get the same number of eyeballs as you're going to get with Kimi Raikkonen, are you? No. Probably not. Um, going going on to um, going on to Alonso. Um, it's it's this on-off relationship that he's got with Enstone. I mean, he's just about to do his third stint in the team, and you know, are they gluttons for punishment for repeatedly taking him back? I think it, it's like the Liz Taylor and Richard Burton of Grand Prix racing, isn't it? Can't live you with know. can't live with you. Can't live without you. Yeah, yeah, but it, it will be interesting to see if Alonso can win at his age. You know, the amount of times I've mentioned that we've had one race in the last half century won by a driver over 40 years old. You know, Alonso will be 40 on July the 29th. He was born on the day, instantly he was born on the day that Princess Diana and Prince Charles got married. Um, so, interesting nugget there for you. Um, but drivers over 40 don't tend to do very well that's just a fact i can't dress that up yet yes maybe they're in less competitive cars over 40 but you know michael schumacher was at mercedes in 2012 nico rosberg won a grand prix so where was he you know he got he you know rosberg was on the podium schumacher got one podium in three years drivers over 40 just fare badly um that is almost uniformly true in modern grand prix racing so and we're also, you know, Raikkonen just had the worst season of his career as well, you know. And I, I don't think Raikkonen was all that hot in recent years at Ferrari, with just the the one win. Um, so I don't know what so I don't know what version of Alonso we're going to get. It might be Alonso raging against the dying of the light. It might be, you know, Alonso might be an Alonso that's eighty percent of the Alonso we once knew. It may also be an Alonso where you just think, wow. What a shame he hasn't had a competitive car all these years. He's still the old Alonso. It remains to be seen. I don't know. I ho- I would love it if he is the old Alonso. The idea that a Grand Prix driver could win um, a championship um, 15 years after the last time he won one is incredible to me. Um, I would love that. Particularly as Alonso put me on the map in Grand Prix racing. Alonso and Raikkonen, they did a hell of a lot for my career without ever realizing it because I came into Formula One at the start of 2003. And that mm. was when Renault, that was when uh, Alonso was promoted to the race seat at Renault. And um, Raikkonen was in his second season at McLaren, hadn't won a race yet. And second race was Malaysia. Um, and if you recall, we had an all Renault front row. Alonso on pole, um, he was the youngest man ever on pole position. Then he was the youngest man to lead a race. Then he was the youngest man on the podium. And then Raikkonen won the race. Who was the, he, at the time, he was the second youngest winner ever. Only Bruce McLaren had been younger. Um, and it was the youngest podium ever. Because it was those two and Barrichello, who at the time was 30. And um, it was the youngest podium ever. It beat Belgium 1974. This is my second Grand Prix, bear in mind. And we've just had this period where Schumacher's just basically blown everything out of the water. Into... Oh, no. Nothing happened in 2002 other than just Schumacher's success numbers. Um and then suddenly there's all this new stuff happening. Wow, there's this Alonso kid. You know, Spain, like, you know, Spain doesn't have any record. You know, Spain, they've had one podium ever. Alfonso Di Botago, Britain's 56. Yeah. Now suddenly all this stats were just dumped on everybody. And it was pure luck that I came into the sport at just that right moment to take advantage of all of that stuff. Because if I came in in 2002, it'd be like, so Sean, what have you got on another Schumacher win? Oh, God. Uh, <laughs> well, it's much the same, much the same as two weeks ago when you last asked me. Um, <laughs> So, yeah, I guess I, I, I owe them my careers, really. 
Maybe one day. Maybe one day I'll, I'll say it to them. <laughs> now, Ferrari this year, uh, a team notorious perhaps for number one and number two-ing drivers. No, no other reference intended with that. Um, we, we, we've spoken about this between uh, between the four of us before, and we don't think Sainz is the kind of driver that would be put in the number two position. What what do you reckon on that? Because I mean, when he came in with Toro Rosso, as was, um, there was a little bit of needle between him and Max Verstappen over giving up places on track. And has he still got that feistiness? I, I, I certainly hope so. Um, you know, that's what I'd want from a Grand Prix driver. I don't see why that would be controversial in any way at all. It's um, you know, it's not after you, Claude, is it? He's not supposed. To, he's not supposed to be Verstappen's lackey, and in the 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 one season that they had together in 2015, Science outqualified Verstappen 10-9. So that's a little remembered stat, which just goes to prove um, how quick Carlos Science is over a single lap. There's 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 no there's no doubting his ability in my in my opinion, and he was always consistently bringing the car home. You know, he had he had all the traits that were necessary. I don't think Ferrari need to nominate a number one or a number two driver. You know, if science is quicker than Leclerc, then away they go. When Leclerc came in at Ferrari, he wasn't supposed to be quicker than Vettel. And look what happened there. It, 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 the, the, the new world order will be formed accordingly. I, what I do think, though, that is that Ferrari need to have a serious word with the paint shop department because there's been a terrible accident on the engine cover. <laughs> <laughs> they, they, must have, they must have got like the, 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 you know, the, the VGA version of the print rather than the super VGA version um, because they've got the wrong colours on it. I was convinced when I saw that picture that they'd accidentally put uh, photos out and they hadn't took like a Photoshop mask or something off it. I, <laughs> yeah. I was co- convinced that something was broken. Yeah, it looks that way, doesn't it? Um, to me, it's know. not just... I was going to say, it's not just the green, it's that burgundy as well. I, but, I mean, I've seen the car in, uh, I watched a bit of testing. It, it, I, I still hate it. I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry to all the Ferrari fans out there. I, I really don't like the way that car looks. I mean, like I said as well, if it's fast, nobody cares. But in terms of the way it looks, I, I don't like it at all. No, and I don't like it either. But I, in mitigation, I don't think we'll see it very often because this mission win now, so that stuff can't be put on the car very often. I think... I actually think there's a, there's a possibility that, that Ferrari are trolling us because they can't use the Mission Win Now stuff, that they might have put it on in such a hideous color that we would be sitting here talking about it, knowing that they can't put it on the car the rest of the season anyway. <laughs> so, it, so it, you know, it, but it was a little bit of guerrilla marketing, basically. Let's make it so crap that you can't help but talk about it. But by the time we get, by the time we get, by the time we get out of Bahrain, you'll have forgotten about it because you won't see it again. Missing, I suppose miss, we're talking about. Paint. <laughs> I suppose we're talking about the mission mission win now logo, and not the fact that the team looks like it's in a bit of bother. Maybe also that's the that, plan. Yeah, yeah, it's, a, it's a it's a smoke screen, isn't it? Um, and you know, it, if if anybody knows more about smoke screens than anybody else, it's Philip Morris and Marlborough. <laughs> <laughs> we need a rim shot in there. If only we had a drummer. <laughs> <laughs> Um, right, so I think we've talked about everyone bar Mercedes now. Alpha Tauri. Oh, yeah, we didn't really, didn't really mention them. Um, we talked we talked about Honda leaving and moved straight into Red Bull and missed Alpha Tauri out. Um, Sonoda looks, Sonoda looks good and quick, although his 
testing times, there was use of DRS outside DRS zones for some of those fast runs he was doing. But he's still he's still able to um, get the car up to speed and make it shift. And now that's a race-winning car as well. Yes. Um, it, it does look very impressive. And um, Sonoda was impressive in, in F2 last year, having just stepped up from F3. He only won one race in F3. And it didn't look all that great um i i confess to thinking like he was he was i didn't go into the season thinking to myself well he's going to be one of the guys that i you know i really have to watch because you know it wasn't like right like, rob it wasn't like robert schwartzman level of competitiveness in in f3 um who was he racing he rated for jensen which is not one of the front of the grid teams in formula three so he maybe that obscured his ability slightly but then he moved to carlin in formula two um and won three times, um, looked at ease, particularly in changeable conditions. He, was, he, he looked particularly impressive there. Um, and Carlin ended the year with a 1-2. Um, Sonoda won the last feature GP2, I said it, <laughs> F2 uh, feature, race, feature race of the year. He won the last F2 feature race of the year from pole position. Um, and they had a 1-2. Carlin had a 1-2 in the closing race of the season with Sonoda and with uh, Jan Zaruvula, his teammate. So... Certainly comes in on a wave of, of positivity there. He's the first Grand Prix driver born in the 21st century. Um, he was born the week that Mika Hakkinen won the Spanish Grand Prix in 2000. Um, yeah, not less less said about that, the better. But isn't <laughs> it great? Isn't it great though for Japan that they've got like because Japan is a country that that absolutely like is full in with all sports. But especially Formula One, when you see the Japanese Grand Prix, they've all got their crazy hats and they're, they're st- they still carry Ayrton Senna flags to the track because they loved him so much there. The, you know, isn't it great for Japan they've got a driver now to focus on? Much like when Kobayashi had his podium, um, when, um, you know, <laughs> it wasn't very successful, but uh, Ukio Katayama, they, they loved Katayama and Aguri Suzuki as well as drivers. And of course, Aguri Suzuki had his own team for a little while but there hasn't been a japanese focus apart from honda but nobody really supports an engine but now they've got now they've got that to 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 look forward to when formula one rolls around to suzuka again they've got a man to focus their attention on that's i think that's going to be amazing for japan well you say nobody spot you know focuses on a manufacturer what about ferrari you know in italy no no one cares about italians winning grand prix we want to know ferrari are winning so it's not. It doesn't necessarily translate that it's just a driver. It can be. It can be a yeah, fair a enough. Manufacturer's thing. <laughs> Good point. Um, but, I do, I, I, but Japanese drivers haven't been all that successful in Grand Prix racing. I mean, um, Sonoda is only going to be the 18th driver to race in a Japanese driver to race in Formula One. Of those 18, um, only 10 of them have previously started more than four races. So there's only really 10 drivers in Grand Prix history from Japan who've really had a proper go at it. Um, the first one, the first one was in my first year, Satoru Nakajima in 87. Um, and he was there at the behest of Honda again, full circle here as teammate to Ayat center at Lotus. Um, mm. and, uh, yeah, I mean, there's in all of history. Japan has only scored three podium finishes and only one of them was outside of Japan. You know, that was uh, Sato at Indianapolis. Um, where he would later go on to even greater successes, of course. I was going to say, he, he's, um, he's a fan of that circuit. <laughs> to put it mildly, yeah, absolutely. 
Um, I was stood opposite him on that podium that day in 04 because our commentary box or American television was literally across from the podium. So they were looking at us during the ceremony. Um, it's quite a sight. I wish I'd taken a photograph, but we didn't have camera phones back then. Um, where was I going? Yes, Japanese drivers. Uh, I mean, we're long overdue for a successful Japanese driver. They have this reputation as being um, hyped, but crash, but, but crash happy. You know, they tendency to throw it at the scenery, which isn't necessarily true. But uh, there were examples. You know, Sato obviously um, was one of the more aggressive drivers on the grid. Um, Kobayashi had a fair few uh, interesting shunts. Katayama had a gigantic accident at Estoril, the start of the 1995 race. Takagi had that big uh, launching over the back of um, another car at Suzuka the one year. So they're, they're more they're more famous for their accidents. Nakajima, Nakajima carried the on-car camera in 1987. There was only one car on the grid that had one. And uh, that meant that any of his incidents were always recorded for posterity. So that gave the impression that Nakajima spent most of his time crashing, which he didn't. But it was just, <laughs> it was just that that was the footage they had. Like with all the footage we've got on board is a Nakajima crashing. So it always seemed like he was the only car who was ever crashing. Um, so they're overdue for some success. That's that's for certain. But I don't think I don't think um, I, I don't know whether or not Sonoda will be that guy. Um, he doesn't come in with a resume, you know, in the Lewis Hamilton category. Let's put it that way. But, you know, he, he, he could make a good fist of it. And certainly it doesn't hurt to be second in the time sheets. Yes, the DRS may have been legal, but he'd still rather be second than 19th, which is where Sebastian Vettel was in the standings. Um, yeah. So, or 20th, actually. He was 20th in the standings. Roy Nassani was slower. Because uh, Vettel was the slowest race rider. Only Nassani was slow, and he's a tester for Williams. So, good start. Um and it's, I mean, it looks good, doesn't it? I mean, and the car looks nice as well. That they've they've inverted the livery, a la Brabham. How Brabham yeah. inverted their livery in 1983. Alfa have done that with the same colours in 2021. Um, Gasly's win in Monza is significant, as he never passed the car in the race, which I always thought was an amazing um, piece of data from that race. He never, other than at the race start or race starts, as we had that day. Uh, Gasly never actually overtook anybody in the race and ended up winning. Never actually noticed no, that. I hadn't appreciated no, that's, that. That's, 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 a new, that's a new one here. Um, he, he was the only. He was the only driver. I think he was the only driver in the race who didn't overtake someone else <laughs> and ended up winning it. <laughs> Did he not pass anyone at the start? I can't. Rem- I, I can't. I can't remember if the data includes the race start or not. Because we normally, when we're right, when we're okay. correlating overtaking stats, we discount the first lap. Because obviously the first okay. lap, all the cars are together, so you, you have you can have loads of you can have loads of position changes in the first lap, and then none for the rest of the race. So I can't remember yeah. if it includes that or not. But uh, yeah, if you definitely if I, what I definitely can say is if you discount the start, he didn't pass anybody, but he ended up winning. <laughs> <laughs> but but you know what? You know what I would say. We look at the Monza win as being a fluke, and it was a little bit of a fluke. Gasly made Q3 11 times last year. That's the most where any driver racing for Toro Rosso or Alfa Tari ever. And those drivers include Sebastian Vettel and Max Verstappen. Neither of them got yeah. to Q3 11 times in the season, but Gasly did that last year. So it wasn't just it wasn't just Monza and, and everything else. He actually was a consistent performer. Yeah, Monza was an anomaly, but he actually was a very he actually drove very well last year. Encouraging for them. Absolutely. He's yeah. go, he's gonna be great in the Alpine in twenty twenty two. I'm still I'm still convinced. 
I heard it here first. <laughs> well, I was convinced. <laughs> Might not want to go anywhere if that uh, Alpha Tauri keeps looking as good as it is. Absolutely. There is always, it, there I mean, is always that. It is interesting that he was not a contender for the Red Bull seat because we don't know, um, after his disastrous tenure there in 2019, how much of it is the team and how much is the driver. Because you look at the way Gasly pulled his career back together and you realise, hey, hang on a minute, Gasly's not as crap as that car was. Like, it must be an institutional problem at Red Bull because how can Albon and Gasly look so dreadful in that second seat but yet look so good when they're in, you know, switched over to the other Red Bull team? It's, uh, it's a riddle that Red Bull needs to solve. Yeah. Yeah, I thought it was interesting when Perez, uh, after was it after testing or was that after their shakedown, when he, he said, I can, I can understand why other drivers might find it difficult to, to adapt to, but it's something that I'm going to have to just um, learn to learn to drive or something along those lines anyway. Yeah. I, I thought that was a very interesting comment from uh, obviously a, a much more experienced driver in Checo Perez. Very, very similar to the comments made by Johnny Herbert when he got the Benetton drive in 1995 alongside Schumacher and found himself dealing with a car that had a very odd setup. Um, and suddenly he went from being, you know, Johnny Herbert, what would he do to a fa- with a fast car to being Johnny Herbert two seconds away from Schumacher in qualifying? In fact, there was one incident. Um, this is very obscure, by the way. I don't know why this has come to me right now, but I've just remembered it. There's one incident that year in Hungary in 1995 in qualifying when it, Schumacher, you know, the last corner at Hungary, the 180 yeah. degree corner, Schumacher came around on his last qualifying lap, last ditch effort to try and knock Damon Hill off the pole position. And he spun coming out of the last corner and he did a complete 360 loop. Like he, 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 he gunned it. Like as soon as he lost it, he, he nailed the throttle. So he went around in this you know, ball of smoke snapped back the right way and kept going across the line and that lap was quicker than Johnny Herbert's qualifying time. What? <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but Johnny Herbert did win two races that year. <laughs> he did. Da- he Damon did. Hill he needs did. reminded of that for immediate deployment on Herbert on Sky Television. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it was it was an amazing thing. Like, I can't believe that Schumacher's just looped it and still gone quicker than his teammate. Um <laughs> Which which really says it all. Uh, and Herbert was fourth on the grid for that first race in 95. And then he was never allowed to see Schumacher's data again the rest of the season because Schumacher was so um, um, zealous about it. You know, you, 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 will, not, you will not approach the tabernacle. Um, <laughs> and, and, and Checo needs to make sure that that doesn't happen to him. Like he, he, they, they need to make sure that they support the number two driver and don't just say, you know, Max isn't going to share data. It's yeah. If it, if it's a difficult car to drive, then you need to help your driver drive it. And and for whatever reason, it didn't work out for Albon and for Gasly. And it might be it might be that Albon and Gasly, as relatively young drivers, having come through the Red Bull program, maybe they didn't. Maybe they lacked the guts to say, "Listen, guys, like you you're piss arsing around here. Like either you help me, or let's just forget the whole thing." And with Perez having spent so many years in another team and in other environments, and you know he got the McLaren experience and so on. He will come in and say, um, no, we're not doing it like this. We're doing it like that. And that might be what they need to, to get things going. Well, it's an unusual one for Red Bull getting somebody, getting somebody from outside the programme. Uh, first, first time since Weber? Sounds about right. Uh, I think so, yeah. Well, was um, it, wasn't Max? Max wasn't technically part of the Red Bull programme, was he? Well, no, but when he, no, moved, he, when he moved to Red Bull, he was part of the Red Bull programme. 
he, yeah, but... yeah they, they they hijacked him because they were worried he would go to Mercedes. Mm. So they they basically they they promised him an F1 ride right away, you know, because they wanted they they were so worried he was going to end up in the Mercedes program. I think that's how it went. Um, didn't work out too bad because um, there was always that there was always a possibility you're bringing him into F1 too soon. You know, what if he come into into F1 too soon, crashed all the time, and not been impressive? His career would have been over in half a season. Yeah. Yeah, imagine if he got blown away by science in that first season, like totally destroyed by him. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, I mean, as I mentioned, he still lost the qualifying head to head, which to me reflects better on science. It's just rem- a reminder that hey, hang on a minute, this Carlos kid's pretty good, you know. Yeah, I, the, I don't think he gets the, he doesn't get the credit he deserves, Carlos Sainz. Which race was it? That first season they were together, they were really close on track. And Max wanted Carlos out of the way, and he said, uh, "Carlos, you, you, you know, we think Max is quicker. You're going to have to let him through." And Carlos went, "No." <laughs> <laughs> I think no, it, if, he, if he's it, qu- might have been, might have been Spain. It was it was early. It was early in the season. I I would have guessed China. Was it really? I was, I was going to say Sochi. Um, <laughs> <'cause> <laughs> yeah, I Sochi... don't know what race it was, but but yeah, there was one of the races they when they were teammates, and uh, so- they asked Carlos to move, and he didn't. Huh. Well, um, yeah, let me, uh, I'm going to uh, leave it with me. Let me have a second. I'm going to look up when this was. Just stand by. <laughs> talk, talk amongst you. Talk amongst yourselves. I was going uh, to suggest moving on to Mercedes next, but I think we'll, uh, we'll, have, yeah. we'll have to find out the answer to this one because they, they are definitely the only team that we haven't touched on yet. I'm pretty certain, and we said this last week, um, we know what's going to happen with Mercedes. We know we know which driver's going to come out on top. Well, yeah, it's going on previous form. You can't really look past Lewis Hamilton, can you? I think it was can Singapore, he... lads. I think it was Singapore. Uh, the science Verstappen thing. Yeah. Oh right. Yeah, it was, it was. It was late in the season. I was thinking it was Sochi. So I was the right end of the season, but it was Singapore. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway, so Mercedes. Anyway, we're on. With, we're on to Mercedes. We're on to, <laughs> we are finally on to Mercedes. Yes. Um, we, have a w, we have a W12 this year. I hope they do better with it than the Life team did back in 1990. <laughs> <laughs> Every time I hear W12, I just think of Swap Shop. Ooh, now you're asking. <laughs> I still stand, stand by the idea that if Hamilton is constantly getting questions about uh, his, like, his career and whether he's going to re-sign, and there's friction within Mercedes because he didn't get his three-year contract and he only got a year extension while they're negotiating that if Mercedes can sort whatever the problem is with their car out that this is the best if not only chance Valtteri Bottas has of being a world champion if Hamilton's destabilized within the team like he was with Rosberg yeah I like your optimism I don't think it's going to happen. Just I said the I said the best. It's not just his most chance. likely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I don't get me wrong. I think you know Valtteri Bottas is a, is a very very good Formula One driver. I just don't think he's on that level. Um, he's the best Barrichello I... since Barrichello. <laughs> yeah, it's even a great better way than Massa. Uh, yeah, I think so. Because <laughs> because Massa nearly won a world championship. <laughs> Barrichello, yeah. got, Barrichello got pre-approved for a credit card. Give him, give him something. Do you know we we did back in, back in the days of Indianapolis at Speed Channel? We used to do a stage show, 
um, on the Thursday. And we used to get a lot of the F1 drivers. In fact, sometimes we got, in 2007, we had every driver on the grid do the show. And in 2004, we had Schumacher and Barrichello, obviously the star attraction, Schumacher. Um, yeah. Now, um, as an aside to this, by the way, this is, this is not to do with the point I'm about to make, but I was stood with Schumacher before he we went on the stage and I said nothing to him because I couldn't think of something to say to him that was witty or entertaining. Um, and I just, like, I didn't want to say, oh, Mike, how you doing, mate? Uh, I'm a big fan. I didn't want to do, I didn't want to be that guy. So I just said nothing to him. So we were just sitting there waiting, you know, waiting to stop. At the same time, Bono from U2 appears <laughs> outside, the, outside the door, right? And I went, I'm standing with Michael Schumacher and Bono from U2 has just arrived. <laughs> What's going on? So I actually... I actually ditched Schumacher to go and see Bono, right? <laughs> now, that, here's where it gets funny. It wasn't Bono. It was a lookalike. It was a lookalike. But, but I'm, a huge, I'm a massive U2 fan. The guy looked so like him. He had all the gear on. The glasses. <laughs> like, he was, yeah, but so the did fake was, Fernando the other year, and that looked nothing <laughs> like the guy. But he, he, no, this, like, this was like the best Bono doppelganger I have ever... I was convinced it was him. So much so that I ditched Michael Schumacher to go and him. <laughs> How good of a lookalike do you have to be? That you're like, yeah, later, Michael, whatever. I'm going over here. <laughs> so I ditched Michael. Anyway, that's not even the point I was going to make. I haven't even got to the point yet. So wait till you hear this one. Wait till you hear this one. So Michael and Barrichello go on the stage, right? So it's a massive crowd, as you can imagine, because we all want to talk to Schumacher. And not only that, but like they, they take some questions from the audience as well. So it's like, it's interaction. And Bob Varsha, who's our commentator, is handling the um, the interview. And one of the questions is, like somebody in the audience says, hi, Michael, I'm blah, 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 from Pig's Knuckle, Arkansas. And my question is, do you have any pets? Perfectly reasonable question. And, and Michael says, sorry, what, I, I, didn't, I didn't hear. What, did, what was the question? And Bob says, um, uh, Dave in the audience wants to know, Michael, have you got any pets? And then there's a pause. And he says, apart from Rubens. <laughs> 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 and, and Ruben's reaction was <laughs> I, I, that's incredible I know, I know, I know. that's akin to what you were saying about the Lewis Hamilton comment with Bottas before isn't it the I was really proud of him you know like oh, right like exactly. you know that's the, that's the same kind of thing I'm like what a that's, that's just killed it completely that is yeah like... <laughs> Yeah. Brilliant. So that all happened after I saw Bono, who wasn't Bono, and I ditched I ditched Michael for a fake Bono. Did fake Bono, Bono come with... clean straight away, or did he string you along? No, no, he was come clean straight away. He's a guy. He's actually we actually became friends. We're, we're still friends today. He's a guy called Daniel Burry. He lives in St. Louis, and he makes a living as a Bono impersonator. And I don't just mean he doesn't just look like him. He sings in a tribute band, and they're really good. I went to see them. I'm like, wow, like he's he doesn't just. He hasn't just got all the beads and all that stuff. He could actually do his mannerisms and everything. That's why he fooled me, because he was so good. I was convinced so it wasn't was the real guy, guy from Alan Partridge then? It wasn't Lynn's mum's friend or whoever it is? <laughs> no, no, no. Oh, this, wasn't, this, wasn't like, this wasn't some guy dressed like in Halloween costume as Bono. This was like a guy who makes a career. <laughs> cataract glasses. So, he had, so he, had, he had all the fashion. He had all the mannerisms, <laughs> the look, the whole thing. It was amazing. And I ditched the real Michael Schumacher for him. <laughs> Amazing. I think, I, think, I think we've just found our show title for this week. <laughs> well, ditching Michael Schumacher. Yeah, for fake Bono. Fake Bono. Yeah, real Schumacher, fake Bono. 
Oh dear, that's amazing. <laughs> so we think Mercedes are going to do well. It's Bottas's best chance, but it's still not a massive one. I think that's yeah. where, I think that's where we were. Yeah, yeah, I and, I, and I, I would... sorry, sorry, Sean, go on. No, no, sorry, you go first. Well, I was going to say, I reiterate my earlier remarks that this is the best chance we've had in the hybrid era that Mercedes will not be the quickest team at the first race of the season. I know they haven't always won the first race of the season, but they've always been the quickest team um, going into that weekend of being, you know, in qualifying and, and what have you. There's a chance that won't be the case this time. Yeah, that's pretty much what I was going to say. I was going to say it might be the first time we see Mercedes playing catch up from race one. Um, yeah. rather than actually uh, going straight out of the blocks. Um, but I still think they're going to take the championship, if I'm honest. <laughs> yeah, I think it might be. It might bear resemblance to 1999, when McLaren had a, um, a bit of a, a woeful time in pre-season. Then they had a, a, a bad, they had a terrible time in Melbourne. Both cars suffered mechanical failures. Eddie Irvine won the race for Ferrari. But Hakkinen have ended, ended up staggering over the line at Suzuka to win his second straight world title. So it still ended up with McLaren winning the driver's title at least um they didn't win the constructor's title that year but um that's 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 where i envisage mercedes could potentially be i still i refuse to bet against them you can't bet against somebody who's won seven in a row you know you got to keep betting you got to keep betting on them until they don't win so i think i think i think i think i think lee's the same with his snooker bets and ronnie o'sullivan Uh, shall we do some predictions for uh, for this weekend then? Oh, Seeing as we've got a race. I think I, yes. just, I think I just did. Did I not? Did that not did I literally yeah. just predict this weekend. <laughs> <laughs> so let's. Yeah. Let, let, we can try. I mean, it's 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 always hard to tell the first race. Uh, Chris, are you going to go first? Yeah, I can do. <laughs> I'll go for. Uh, I'll go for Stappen win. Uh, Bottas second. And Perez third. Ooh. Okay. I, I'm going to go similar. Uh, Verstappen win, but mm. Hamilton second and Perez third. Right, Lee. Lando Norris win. Oh, hello. <clears throat> Bottas second. Daniel Ricciardo third. After, I... but after Lewis and Max take each other out. And Perez hasn't quite got a hang of the Red Bull yet. <laughs> I mean, that sounds like a cracking race. Gotta be honest, that does sound entertaining. You've got to, you've got like, to be the like change the best you want. Race I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> right, in and amongst all that, Sean, what was yours again? Hamilton, Botas, Verstappen. Mm. Of course. <laughs> same three, in the same order, every week until it fails. <laughs> Is that not the Dan approach? I was going to say Dan. Dan that's that's Dan's <laughs> approach because he's not t- not told us to change anything from last season yet. Um, yeah, we nearly might, up to. You we... might be right, Sean, but I was exciting. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I would say that. I mean, Hamilton, Bojas, Verstappen is. I forget how many times um, they've been on the podium together, but they are almost at the all-time record um, for the most times the same three drivers have been on the podium. They've been on. I've just checked my notes. 13 times have been on the podium together. That's one short of the record, which is Hamilton, Rosberg, and Vettel. Oh, wow. Um, who are the top triplets in Grand Prix history. So if if we get a Botas Hamilton Verstappen podium, it will tie the record. Is that in any order? In any order. Yes. Which is good, because yeah, that's, just... that's what I'm going for, but just in a different order. Hamilton win, Verstappen second, and Bottas third. Who are the mo- uh, like most on-the-podium teammates ever? 
Um, teammates, uh, I imagine it's Rosberg and Hamilton because they had a long, they had a long time together. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you just if you just went as pairs, regardless of teammates, oh, you know what? It's going to be Bosa and Hamilton. It's what it is. No, yeah. wait, no, wait. Hang on a minute. Breaking news. Uh, Bosa's and Hamilton have Bosa's and Hamilton and Hamilton and Rosberg have been on the podium forty-five times together each. Oh, um, but um, not Schumacher Barrichello. Not all of them were teammates. Barrichello and Schumacher were on the podium forty-one times together. But the first time they were on the podium together was the Pacific Grand Prix of nineteen ninety-four, and they weren't teammates at the time because uh, no. Barrichello was racing for Jordan. Then Barrichello was on the podium at Monaco ninety-seven. It was Stewart again. Imola '99 with Stewart. I don't know. It's, it's. I don't want to sit here and work out what the answer is exactly for teammates. You know, using hand using hand calculations here, but um, yeah, it's the usual suspects. Let's put it that way. Prost and Senna. If you're interested, Prost and Senna are on the podium together 41 times, exactly the same number as Barrichello and Schumacher. Mm. Wow, bloody hell, crazy. Right before we do the um, usual, who's a who's a total shunt? Uh, we've had a question for you, Sean. Um, mm. Super Sumo 32. I don't know where people get these names from. Um, he was looking for some information on Penske in F1 because he was saying earlier they should they should they should start a team. It's like, well, they did, but I can't remember how well it went. But I do know the person to ask. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, Penske. Uh, thank you for your question, Super Sumo. Bunch of numbers. Um, <laughs> I think he's called Ethan. <laughs> Ethan. That's a that's that's a good nickname. That's better than his real name. <laughs> Uh, super sumo. I don't know what his parents were thinking, really. Um, <laughs> yes, they were in Formula One uh, briefly in the mid 1970s, from 74 through 77. Originally, um, originally coming into Formula One with the American driver Mark Donahue, um, who of course was the author of the book The Unfair Advantage. Um, but he'd already tasted significant success with Roger Penske. He'd won the the 24 hours of Daytona. He won the 72 Indianapolis 500. He was Can-Am champion with 73 with Roger Penske. So he was, he was Roger's guy in the same way that Peter's courage was Frank Williams guy. In fact, even more so he was absolutely Roger's guy. So it made sense that when Penske uh, made the jump into Formula One, Mark Donahue was a driver in 74 race to them in 75. Unfortunately, it all came to a tragic end at the Austrian Grand Prix. He had a crash in the morning warm-up when uh, he crashed, he went over the barriers. A marshal was killed. And Donahue himself was hit on the head with um, one of the catch fencing posts. And initially he'd survived apparently unscathed. He was, he was, you know, battered about a bit, but he was talking and he, you know, he went off to the hospital. He was able to tell everybody what had happened and everything. And then he lapsed into a coma and died a couple of days later. Um, what you might call the Schumacher effect, you know, the, 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 the delayed yeah. onset of the, of the injury. Um, yeah. John Watson took over and raced in 76. And it was by coincidence, it was at the Österreich ring where that accident happened, where John Watson took Penske's only Grand Prix win. And uh, he lost the bet with Roger Penske and had to shave his beard off. Because up to then, John Watson had had a beard. And then he shaved his beard off and he never grew it back. So John Watson, from there on, if you ever see him with a beard, it's before Austria 76. And if you see him clean shaven, you know it's afterwards. Um, In 77... Uh, there were customer Penske's on the grid in 77, um, but uh, it was it was definitely winding down. You know, it was there were customer cars on the grid, but Penske as a works team, I think, pulled the plug at the end of 76. They didn't 
they didn't uh, return. So it was, a di- it was a toe in the water for Roger Penske by his standards. But he himself was a Grand Prix driver as well. He raced in the U.S. Grand Prix in 61 and 62, finished in the top 10 both times. Soon after, he retired, decided he was probably going to be better as a team owner than he was as a driver. I would say that that was inspired logic. That worked out all right, I think we can say. And then bought a sport. <clears throat> yes, and and in my opinion, we should absolutely be going back to Indianapolis because why would not, why would Formula One not want Roger Penske involved? You know, look at everything Roger Penske's done in life has turned to gold. So, you know, get get on the phone to Roger. You know, if anybody could, if anybody could make it work, it's him. If you, you if, know I mean that he's if you're listen, listening, Stefano. You must have his number. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I'm sure. I, I, honestly, I'm sure Domenicali has had that conversation. You know, he's at he's at that level where he could call Penske and Roger would pick up. So, um, yeah, I'm sure it's a conversation that's ongoing. It's just a matter of making it work um, economically and logistically. But uh, you know, you, I mean, we all know Liberty want to have more than one race in the U.S. and Indianapolis is a Grade One circuit. So let's get it on. And Indianapolis, as I mentioned earlier, with my Bono uh, anecdote was always among the most fun races of the year. I loved going to Indianapolis. I know the track wasn't all that great, but the actual going to India was always a highlight. And I would love, love, love to go back again and have two races, at least two races in the US. It would make travelling a lot easier for you. Pardon? It would make travelling a lot easier for you. Well, you know, it's it's just that, you know, there should <laughs> be more than one race in the US. You know, why have we got this whole continent? And... Um, you know we're not making better use of it there's there's so many um race fans in this country that we could take advantage of so let's do it mm. i mean when when, you, when you've got something like the us which is absolutely chock full of racetracks yes i mean I, I don't want them to go to tracks like road america or um laguna seca because if they did then it would destroy those racetracks you know they would have to make so many changes to it that they would just destroy it so i don't Quite. want them to go there yeah, I couldn't. I couldn't see an F one car t- tackling the corkscrew. That would be um... get beached. Well, it's been done. It's been done with um, the you know when they have the historics and all that stuff there, uh, Monterey historics. Like Mark Janay's been around there in a Ferrari, like a two thousand and eight Ferrari F one car at full at full speed, giving it the beans. It's really impressive. You see the onboards, <clears throat> um, but the track is too small and 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 it just doesn't have the infrastructure. And I would hate for them to destroy the the character of that racetrack just for F one. You know, there's more yeah. to motorsport than just F1. We don't need to bulldoze the best racetracks in the world just so that an F1 car can go around it. There are lots of other cars in the world of racing, and I'm more than happy to see them on the limit at tracks like Road Atlanta and Monterey or Laguna Sega, you know, and not have F1 there. I'd rather F1 sticks to, sticks to its tried and tested formulas rather than tearing up other people's. Yeah, I quite like the look of the Miami circuit before that got pulled. I know it was a street circuit, and street circuit races aren't always the best, especially American street circuit races. But um, you know that 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 circuit looked quite quite good. I was looking forward to a Harborside Miami Formula One race until it got pulled. Yeah, that was never going to happen. Um, I think that was a pipe dream. The idea of having running it through that segment of Miami, um, the, it's a great idea, um, certainly much more picturesque than doing it at the Hard Rock Stadium, which is miles away. I mean, it's, it's completely there's like Miami's on the horizon. It's not even yeah. close. Um, having it in downtown would have been incredible. But 
there you go. There's this mis- there's this misunderstanding that the idea that um, oh uh, Miami, South Florida, you know they love soccer and Formula One. It can't fail, and the amount of times that soccer teams have failed in Florida, you won't believe. So. The idea that Formula One would be an automatic win in Florida was also misguided, I think. They forget the heartland. They forget that in Indiana, where the speedway is, that's where you know, there's a huge concentration of race fans there. So take advantage of those things. Don't be, mm. don't be so seduced by locations that you forget your core audience. Uh, it's always chasing after the next big crowd, but why not service the crowd that you've already got? Indeed, yes. And... Indianapolis is. I don't know. If, I don't know if you've heard of Indianapolis Motor Speedway. It's quite a successful venue. It's uh, yes, holds a bit. I've heard the name. Races. Yes, holds a few big races every year. So um, I'm sure Roger. Roger would probably say. Pro, Roger would probably look at the layout of the racetrack and say, "Kind of needs to be a little bit sexier for Formula One. Let's see if we can extend it or do something with it." Um, yeah, he he'd be my man for that. Ah, his um, his hoping. Right, Lee. Have you got a total shunt for us this week? And with Sean being on, is it a is it a tough one? I think so. Yeah, I've I've got something here. Is it fake Bono? Uh, it's not fake Bono. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was sent in by Richard Grove. So thanks for sending it in. I think that I think that is a new name on the uh, on the shunterers. He is. He is. Uh, that's not name. that's not super sumo bunch of numbers, is it? <laughs> <laughs> Clue number one, I was born. Yay. That's in it? Ni- that's the whole clue? <laughs> yes, that's it. Uh, in 1968. Okay. Um, is it Mika Hackman? No. <laughs> <laughs> First I was guessed straight in there. <laughs> I was named after a boxer. Mm. My race colours are red, white and blue. And I'd like another guess. I mean, red, white, and blue doesn't eliminate many people, really. It doesn't, does it? <clears throat> um, hmm. Name give us those. Give us those. Give us those ones again. Was born in 1968. Uh, I was named after a boxer. Uh, my racing uh, race colours are red, white, and blue. So my race colours are red, white, and blue. Your race colours would change depending on your team. So I think this is a team. Hmm. Clever. Boss thinking. That's literally going to be the highlight of my contribution for this now. <laughs> so, teams that were formed in 1960. Sugar Ray Footwork. Is that a thing? <laughs> <laughs> well, the Sugar the sugar Ray was a boxer. Yeah. Footwork wasn't. Yeah, good, no. good footwork. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I've got that better than that. <laughs> Are you going to go with that? <laughs> well, no. We're not allowed to ask if it's Ray a Formula Robert. 1 team in particular. <laughs> we're not allowed to ask if it's a Formula 1 team, are we? This, this no, could you be can't, the you next can't clue. Ask, ask for clues. That would, okay. that would give extra clues. <laughs> <laughs> right. yeah, I suppose. Go on. Carry on. I, I need a guess off you. One of your yeah, sh- Sugar Ray footwork then. Sugar Ray footwork, yeah. <laughs> In 2005, I won the NASCAR Nextel Cup. Oh, 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 oh. who was it? <laughs> <laughs> um, 2005. Bloody hell. Um, I'm not going to look up the answer because that's just spoiling it. 
Um, it is. Yeah, it's, it's against the spirit. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's not just against the spirit of the game. It's against the rules of the game. <laughs> oh, is it? It's the Ferrari approach. Well, I mean, well, I mean, I, you know, I could be looking up the answer now, and you wouldn't know. But I'm saying, like, in, it, that's no fun. I mean, it's, the, it's a system of trust. The, yeah, the answer right there is, ob- you know, it's obviously obvious. I can find that by looking it up. But I don't. <laughs> you, you don't know anything about motorsport at all. You're just a really quick Googler, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> secret secrets out. Secrets out. Um, 2005. It was. Uh, let's see. Come on, come on, folks. Rally here. How um, old Gene has? Older than 53. Is he? Yeah. What about the Haas as a as a, as a company? That racing colours. That racing colours are whatever the highest bidder says. Grey, darker grey, <laughs> darker grey, and a sort of slightly lighter grey. Yeah, but in Formula One, they are red, white, and blue at the moment. For now. You see where he's going with it? I got you. You see where, where... So, what do you want to guess, everybody? We have, we have more think? clues. We have more clues we'll, before we have to yeah, guess. Yeah, we'll have more clues, yeah. Oh, I, okay. I we have to guess every work. three clues. Oh, I see. <laughs> right, okay. I'm going to go for, um, I don't know, Rocky 40 Corsa. <laughs> <laughs> I have finished first and third at the El Dorado. What that BBC soap opera? So what the heck is the Eldorado? I didn't make. I didn't make the clues. Grove <laughs> <laughs> did. Uh, number seven. No, oh, no, number, number six. six. Oh, I so. Uh, <laughs> no, whatever, whatever. Missed that. All right, sorry. Yeah, uh, I am of German and American nationality. Well, I've given up on this because. I assume you gave us the answer with the previous bit there. Um, no, no, no. No, there's, there's, oh, so t- there's, there's still ten clues to go. Oh, yeah, sorry, still it's, ten it's, clues. it's just the the way he's done the the clues. But one it, one was joined on to the last one. That's why I missed it. So, so, so I need a guess. German American. Mm-hmm. I'm of German and American nationality. Uh, in 2005, I won the NASCAR Nextel Cup. I have finished first and third at the Eldorado. I think it's the Haas racing team, personally. Right. I, 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 well, I was thinking, is it the Haas company, like CNC Lades and all that stuff? Yeah, yeah. Well, Haas as a started, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Is it that? I think it might be. I think that's a good... Haas the good, sand. Yeah, good, good to go for a second guess. We've still got three mm-hmm. more clues before we have to give a definitive final answer. Yep. It sounds a bit German, doesn't it, as well? Haas. Yeah, double well, A, a is a very... Amer- American and German nationality would point to Stuart Haas racing. Mm. It seems that's a little bit early, 2005. Hmm. Anyway, carry on. Um, I was accidentally involved in a robbery. What? How do you accidentally get involved in a robbery? I picked up these guys outside a bank. I didn't know it was them. Honestly, Gov. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Because, I mean, all victims are accidentally involved in a robbery. No one plans to get involved that way. (laughs) Number eight. In 1980, I was caught up in a famous bullfight. Hmm. This is making less is it, and less sense now. Is yes. it is it is it fake Bono? <laughs> <laughs> is it your mate Dan who pretends to be Bono? 
Well, that's real, real Dan, fake Bono, yeah. <laughs> real Dan, fake Bono. Yeah, or Dano, as he calls himself. <laughs> Does he call himself Dano? Dano, yeah. Yeah. Can you, talk was... like, can you talk like Bono as well? No, he sounds nothing like him. He sounds like an American. But nah. he does but but his on stage on stage he does a fantastic Bono impersonation. I, I was really as someone who's seen you two thirty times, I was really impressed. <laughs> That's cool. <laughs> um number nine. In my recent big screen appearance, I was alongside NASCAR legends Jimmy Johnson, Jeff Gordon, Tony Stewart, and Dale Jarrett. Wait, really? Wait, hang on. My recent what? Sorry, big, big, screen. big screen appearance. What film have that lot been in? Not bloody Lightning McQueen again, is it? Oh, no, is it Will Ferrell from Talladega Nights? What's That's his not name? that is it, recent, is it? Ricky Bobby. No, it's not Ricky Bobby. That's him, isn't it? You got one more clue. Mm. Go on then. My race number is fifty-three. I, I, yeah, I, th- I can't think of anything other than Ricky Bobby. I'm amazed. Um, is it? Amazed. Is it? You're amazed what? I'm amazed you just haven't got it. Is I, it Herbie? Oh hell! <laughs> it oh, will be. Yeah, oh, number yes. fifty-three. It actually, is. Yeah. I'm Herbie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that—that's the first total shunt that's got to the end, like the last clue, when Sean's been around. Yeah, it has, yeah. 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 Well done, Richard Grove. <laughs> that is fantastic, Richard. Right, how do you send in the Total Shunt? You can PM me at a Total Shunt on Twitter or Instagram. Um, and if you've already sent one in, then get in touch again and bump it up the list because I've had loads of messages and we haven't been doing them. Cool. Uh, you can also send reserve shunts in to threelegsfourwheels at gmail.com and they'll go they'll go on the, uh, on the backlog for shows that Lee can't do or... He's forgotten to uh, get one, or some, nobody sent one in. Yeah, and to be fair, if you want if you want yours on the show next week, do it because it stops me having to scroll through my timeline, and I don't have anything for next week. So if you want yours on, fucking please figure out. <laughs> get it done quick. <laughs> um, you heard us do our predictions earlier. If you want to take part in the um, in the prediction game, we're running it again this season on the website. Just got three legs four wheels dot com, and uh, go to the game section, and it's in there. Podcast. Um, Prediction League 2021. We'll get our predictions up on our, on the site as well for uh, the ongoing season-long competition. The four of us, Dan, when he feels like turning up, and uh, a guest predictor every week. If we've got a guest on the show, we'll get them to make a prediction, or um, we sometimes throw it open to the listeners. Get us on the socials, um, at Three Legs Four Wheels, on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And if you want to help the show out, just go to patreon.com slash three legs four wheels. Subscribe from as little as one dollar, one pound or one euro a month. And uh, you get the show a little bit earlier than everyone else. And once things get back to slightly more normal, we'll be uh, doing the extra Patreon shows just for uh, just for the subscribers on there as well. I'm out of breath now. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to get us all individually on the socials, we are at Sean Cowper. At Flood21. At Pablo100. And of course, Sean, you are at Virtual Statman. Thank you very much for joining us tonight, Sean. I've, I have to say, this this has been probably the, the funniest show that you've done with us. It's been the it's been the best one by a long way. Well, God knows we need somebody to laugh at. <laughs> <laughs> it's been amazing, and uh, I'm sure I'm sure we can uh, persuade you into coming back again at some point during the season. 
yeah, I'll probably uh, probably trouble your airwaves a good few more times before the end of 2021. Ah, that'll uh, oh. that'll do nicely. Um, next week we have not one but two guests on the show, and uh, all will be revealed in about seven days' time. So until then, stay safe, and we'll see you soon. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.